No, no, no! Coco Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Murphy, Alan Huffman, Amigos Retro Gaming, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donaghy, Brian Weasler, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jenna Farrant, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunk, Michael Pitsley, Rick Eulin, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Rob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., Tim Lindner, Tom Heron, and Tony C. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Welcome to Coco Talk episode 222. Today we have a live report from the CCAG and we have a live guest, special guest. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tiny flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. <laughs> Hello, everybody. We all awake? Yep. <laughs> Present. Okay. Um, let's go through some of the panel intro here and get on with it. Uh Upper left-hand corner, we got uh, the one and the only Rick Adams. Hello, hello, thank you. You're too kind. <laughs> and your host today is me. Hello. Uh, next over, uh, we have Ron Delvo. How you doing, everybody? From Fountain Hills, Arizona. Tropical Fountain Hills. <laughs> Are you getting your annual rain today? Mm-hmm. Uh, next over, we got Patrick Euland. Howdy, folks. All right. Uh, let's see. 
Let's do a character turn and a line feed. Sloopy. Greetings. All right. Uh, our special guest, uh, Doug Bell. Uh, we'll come back to you here in just a minute. Um, L. Curtis Boyle is up next. Welcome to the show, everyone. And our one and only Internet's own Grant Leedy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the train wreck. <laughs> And uh, next up, uh, Jason Reichard, who's live at the CCAG. Hey, hey, everybody. All right. Uh, next over, uh, we have Nick Marota. Hey, how you doing? And I forgot I got to do this. Nick Marotta. It's in the contract. You have to. Yes. Thank That's right. So <laughs> We're a professional. Thanks, outfit. Mark. Yeah. And. Last but not least, uh, the other Nick. The, the real Nick. From, uh, from Down Under. <laughs> Nick Down Under, that's right. Nick, the Nick yeah. rivalry has started. That's Actually, right. You didn't mention uh, Nick Marota's uh, new haircut there. Oh, that was last week, wasn't it? That was last week. week. You fell oh, asleep during so that part, I think. Oh, I must have fallen asleep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we can see the headphones yeah, now. Isn't he dreamy? Thanks for noticing, though, Nick. I appreciate <laughs> that. I'm about to dream off now. So. <laughs> I feel seen. Everyone needs a great grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Nick def definitely does not feel woke during this show, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, let's see if I can get uh, Zoom to behave here. Um, there, there we go. Uh, while uh, Jason has are. signal, uh, let's go ahead and uh, get the report from uh, from you there, Jason. Our field, All right. Hey, everybody. Field I, reporter. I, 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 field reporter. Yes, field reporter. I am here near Cleveland. Actually, I think it's North Ridgeville, Ohio. But we're near Cleveland. We're here at the Classic Console Arcade Gaming Show. This is a show I went to last year. I really enjoyed it. I see I have I have the appropriate Coco Talk T-shirt. I'm all ready to go. Yeah. And uh, I, ha I have my I have my lovely production assistant here with me. Yeah. And uh, we're we're Hi, ready to go. But um, this is any other day. This would be an indoor soccer complex. But today it is the Classic Console Arcade Gaming Show, or CCAG, because that's not a mouthful, is it? But. Um, I'm just up. I'm just right. I'll just give you a quick overview here. Let me flip around because who wants to look at me? But, uh, I'm up here on the uh, on the uh, bleachers they have here. We have two different sides here, uh, so it's a uh, it's quite a uh, beehive of activity. And uh, of course, uh, we have the important spot. We have the uh, refreshments, and then uh, we have another soccer or as Nick Nick Marentes would call it football um, uh, area here over here. And uh, I guess I How should just go ahead and work. Soccer? You call it soccer? I thought you called yeah. it football. Well, it depends. Oh, soccer, what do I know? Soccer is soccer and football is football. They're two two different games. Oh, because you have oh. Australian rules football. That's right. We well, have then, there's, then there's American football and then uh, you know Canadian what? football. Let's not let's not get into some oh yeah, Canadian football where it's where they have like the sixty meter line or something. But oh look, Mario's here, so we're good there. Uh go. Where am I going? I think I'm going this way. Let me go this way. There's two there's two there's two halves here. Are there any are there any uh, vintage machines playing today? There are some vintage. Yeah, this is a classic console show, so there are there are vintage machines. Uh, yeah, we have a we have a couple just over here. We have an Atari XL, Coleco. Uh, we have uh, we got a ColecoVision with a tapper cart. Man, I want a tapper for my for my Atom. 
But Jason, I have, Jason I have, quick question: is this, those. We have, uh, is, is this both computers and home game consoles, or is it more favoring one over the other? I'd say there's more game console stuff. Uh, the, the quick uh, walk around that I got to do, but we do have some some classic classic computers here. Uh, there's some uh, some Commodore. Um, Dare we, we say, we, would there be a Coco there? I haven't seen a Coco. I was really hoping the last time I was here, we had the fellow from uh, Digital Dinos here, but uh, I did not spot him. I did a very, very, very quick, quick walk around when I got here. And uh, you might have to yeah, be an exhibitor um, next year, then, Jason. Uh, you know what? If this wouldn't have snuck off on me so much, I would have thought about doing it. Uh, but yeah, some, some Atari here. We got the uh, home built um, the Princess Rescue playing up there. That's a fun one. Very. Mario Brothers esque. I know there's a Vectrix around here somewhere. I've seen several. So there, there's a 6809. Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of, lot of, uh, lot of uh, console, a lot of console gaming uh, stuff here. Uh, old classic uh, gaming, whatnot here. Uh, last time I did, last time I was at this show, I did find some Coco ROM packs, but uh, that was, uh, that was very, uh, very. Uh, I think I saw. I think I saw two the whole time, and uh, the fellow from Digital Dinos he had um, he had some uh, TRS eighty stuff, but no Coco stuff. But I I kind of I ribbed him on that a little bit. But uh, oh, we have we have free candy. Candy. I don't know what that is. That is uh, a keychain with uh, some type of connector. I don't know what kind of connector that is. But oh, this is where you got the yo-yos. Starbucks got some free yo-yos here today. And um, see what else we got here. Oh, so here where where is this show? A, uh, what, what city is this show in? Oh, uh, near Cleveland. <laughs> okay. Yeah. West of Cleveland. Yeah. Um, so for the new West Guardians are. And oh, <laughs> that's true. Um, but um, yeah, here's an Atari 800 XL. Just kind of hanging out, and there's the uh, big old disk drive. Where's David Ladd when you need him? There's some uh, floppy drives there, and. Uh, Oh, uh, we'll just go down here, and uh, I think, like I said, I didn't get a big, I didn't get a, didn't get a huge chance to scout this place out that much. But we have. Uh, Did oh, you bring a, a pocket full of money so you can buy some stuff? I, I did a pocket. Well, I definitely there's definitely money in my pocket, absolutely. But uh, got a C64, Atari XL. Uh, what is this? You got a Atari One or a Commodore One Twenty Eight. Um, some more Commodore drives here. Uh, are they expensive? Sarah found a slot machine. Uh, let's see here. Uh, the the C the sixty four C is one hundred and seventy five dollars in the box. The one twenty eight they have two fifty on it. Uh, just for example, um, I see this ten fifty drive here is one hundred and seventy five. Uh, so it's a little bit like lower than seventy one. It's two twenty five. It's a little bit lower uh, than a lot eBay. of these things. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not particularly. Uh, uh, Sure, I haven't priced a lot of these things on eBay lately, but uh, it's uh, it's quite it's quite crowded right now. It's a beehive here. A lot of uh, a lot of uh, console games. I was looking, I know there's a Vectrex around here somewhere. I, I seen it. I saw it. I'm glad I brought my tripod because I wouldn't be able to hold the phone up this high. Both Sloopy but, uh, and Buck Owens in the chat are saying the prices are high and a little higher than eBay. Okay, okay, they they, they they would know more than I would. But um, now let's see here. Uh, well, sometimes the reason you go to a show like this is for deals, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Here we go. Here's well, the other nice thing about being in person is that you can actually maybe get a chance to actually try the machine and make sure it works, which you can't do in ABA. Oh, there it is. Absolutely. Right. Here we go. Here's some, here's a 6809, uh, base system. The, uh, the VEC trucks. Is that a particular one for sale at all? I, I don't think it is for sale. It looks like this person here is selling some, uh, some games, uh, including some new some ones new, coming out. It looks like games. Yeah, that's what we have. I still want to see a 6309 Vectrix game. Uh, oh, that would be interesting. That would be interesting. But yeah, this will be a tour de France. Let's see that tower. Sure oh, there's a, there's a candle on this one. Yeah, game over. Game over, man. Game over. <laughs> oh. Yeah, Sarah, you got free hands. You, you push some buttons. I actually have something. I know there's a reason I brought her. Nah. <laughs> Those things run about what four hundred to seven hundred dollars online. Uh, that sounds like a good guess. I haven't priced them in uh, several years, though. I know I've never had the. Uh, I've never been fortunate to uh, get one. Um, yeah, I don't. Does that have any hum in it? <laughs> I don't hear any, but it's kind of loud here. There's, a, you know, there's there's a lot of people here, a lot of people here, so it's uh, it's kind of loud. So I, I, if there's a hum, I can't hear it. Uh, okay, that's cool. That's awesome. Usually more of a buzz. Yeah, on the Vectrix. So Buck Owens is asking if that's a. Uh, uh, pack rat game. That's a good question. So, is some of that software there new? Yeah. Yeah, it says coming in August, coming in the fall. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Um, got a, the fellow here that has the Vectrex. Uh, great to talk to us for a minute here. Uh, oh, what, what's what's your name and your your uh, name? Uh, you're making these uh, games, or my name is Sean Kelly. Uh, I made the uh, the Vectrex multi card for about the last 25 years. That's going to be heard of us. Oh, I doubt he has, but you haven't heard of Coco Talk, I assume. So, no, uh, pretty obscure. Not too into the Coco. I get it, not, but you've heard of the Coco, so that's correct. Can you yeah. hear him okay, everybody? Yeah. Okay, great. So you said you, uh, Sean Kelly. I've heard that name before. I'm also one of the founders of the National Video Game Museum in Frisco, Texas. Okay. I, I've heard that name before many, many. That's why it sounds so familiar. But you, you made the multi-card. You make this for the Vectrax. Yep. Awesome. And the reason this is of interest to our audience is because, of course, it's a Motorola 6809-based system like the Coco. I didn't know the Coco was 6809. Yep, 6809. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I do a lot of Vectrex stuff. I've reproduced all of the Vectrex overlays. I've had a mold made for the, uh, the cartridge shells. I've, I've been doing the cartridge shells for about 15 years. I'm about to I'm about to release a, a repro of the Vectrex light pen. I had a mold made for the pen. I had a mold made for the cable. Um, next thing is the, uh, the controller. I'm going to reproduce the controller. Tell them not, not to get involved with the Coco. You'll lose all his money. <laughs> well, he's just not into cocoa. So I think, well, okay, it's one of the guys say, don't get involved in the cocoa, you'll lose all your money. 
<laughs> well, there's not a ton of money to be made in the bank checks either, but it's fun. It's a labor of love, just like the Coco. As long as, as, long as I can cover my cost, I'm good. That, Ask me if you heard about the 6309 chip. Have you heard of the six the Hitachi six three oh nine processor? No. Okay, he hasn't, Curtis. Oh, uh, that that is that was a replace a, a drop in replacement made by Hitachi for the sixty eight oh nine. Faster. It is fa- it is faster. It's faster in what in, in when faster in the, extra uh, instructions, extra registers, and much lower power draw. Yeah, faster, more instruction, lower power draw. It's yeah. What's the uh, more What's that? What's the cocoa homebrew scene? The cocoa homebrew scene is, uh, I'd say it's quite active. I mean, we have, we still have Cocoa Fest in Chicago every year. This year it's going to be in November. I live in Chicago. Okay, Chicago. We're in Chicago. Where is Cocoa Fest? That's in, what, Elgin? or No, not this year. Where where is this year? Elk Grove Village. Elk Elk Grove Village Holiday Inn. Where VCF used to be. Where where VCF used to be. Uh, Vinci's Computer Fest. Uh, okay, but it, yeah, first first weekend November, right, guys? Yes. How many people are you guys drawing? How many are we drawing at Coco Fest? Anybody know the last time? About a hundred and twenty. Hundred and twenty. It's a very niche show, although. Now, now I'll be in I'll be in Chicago. Uh, what weekend of September twelfth for Vinci's Computer Festival Midwest? That's at the Clarion Inn. What is, is that in Elmhurst? Oh, so sorry. Not Elmhurst. But that's um, that's a that's a fun show. A lot of vintage, a yeah. lot of vintage computers. I was computers. actually going to go to that. The last one I did pre-COVID, and I, I didn't end up making it. I, I was there. I had a blast. I, I highly recommend it. Well, definitely so. give an open invite to Cocoa Fest in November. Yeah, yeah. yeah. September tenth. September tenth. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, so how would yeah, open would, uh, inv- in open invite to Cocoa Fest? Thank you. So, so how would Kelly, one, right? I know that name. I don't know why I know that Turn name. Turn up your volume, Nick. Classic gaming. Did you build like a, a, a multi-cart for like a, any of the Atari stuff at one point? Yeah, I used to do Atari 2600, Atari 5200, This is probably 20 plus years ago. Yeah. But that, okay, that's why the name sounds familiar. Yeah. Nick, okay. wanted to yeah, answer your question. Do you have a business card? Sure. Yeah, we'll get a card. What, what, what did you want to know, Nick? Nick, Moreni, speak up. No, that wasn't me. No. Oh. So, so I was, I've been trying to ask, uh, how would one get a hold of uh, this gentleman if they're interested in his products? <laughs> oh, here we go. Here, yeah. Uh, here we go. Where is? Um, see, we've got. What is this? This is uh, BeckTrexMulti.com. Yeah, so BeckTrexMulti.com. Um, cool. Sean Kelly. Yeah. Yeah, BTS, the first week or the second week in September. Oh, I got your email, Sean. I can shoot you off the email. It'll be, it'll be. Yeah, the com. That's awesome. I wonder if the light pin could could work on the cocoa. Yeah, thank yes. you. We had a few in the cocoa back in the early '80s, so. Yeah, and what what? Because it only it would only plug into the uh, joystick port, so that's a digital digital input. Yeah. Uh, All right. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, some guy. Well, you'd you'd have your I need a CRT for this to work problem. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You would too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's uh, the the CRT. That's like uh yeah vector graphics. That's uh, kind of like an oscilloscope type uh, display. But, uh, Something you don't. Again, mind thanks thanks up. to Sean for talking to us. That, that's great. That's awesome. 
and then he's from Chicago, and I recognize the name, and now I know why. So that, that's awesome. That's awesome. That was uh, that's great. Um, uh, more uh, more con more, uh, more consoles here. We have some uh, <laughs> game yeah, yeah, game cubes. Yeah, we got uh, today's today's program is brought to you in shaky vision. By the way, just <laughs> it's a nice slideshow, man. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Well, I'm doing what I can. Oh, this looks awesome. It's good. That's fine. Yeah, this is. Oh, it's windy back here. Maybe I live here now. Got a bunch of boxed. Uh, uh, oh, this is okay. This is this is the booth for Corkscon. That's the uh, Columbus, Ohio Retro Gaming Society. I went to that show a couple of years ago. When is it this? When is it this year? It is uh, October twenty third. I'm gonna grab a grab a thing there. It has nothing to do with dogs. Has nothing to no, it doesn't have any. I'm pretty sure I can ask if it has anything to do with corgi dogs, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it doesn't. Yeah, so that's awesome. Let me uh, go over here. It's nice and breezy right here. I just want to stay here, but I can't. It's nice and breezy. Um, some more, uh, oh, we got some 16 bit stuff, Genesis. Yeah, a bunch of game packs there. See here. I'm impressed how big this is. On this, uh, this is bigger than it was the last time, or it's more spread out. Because the last time I was here, it was just one one of the one of the indoor soccer uh, fields. So this is awesome. Um, see, I make it down here and see if these have some cards and have some tops. What's, what's the general smell there? <laughs> smells well, like vintage electronics. Yeah, does it? Does a, it? Smells like vintage electronics in here. here that's what go. it smells oh, like. Oh, there's a TI. Smells, smells, smells like fun. Here's a TI. Uh, says uh, never opened original shrink uh, 200 or best offer. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. I, I don't need one, but that's awesome. That's that's that's, that's probably that's probably a great deal for that something like that. It's uh, not not open. That's that's great. Uh, but how do you know we have there? Right, I guess you're. And how do you know it's in there if, you, if it hasn't been opened, right? I know, right? Shrink wrap a brick. Yeah, could be. Yeah, it would be. The brick would be really fresh. Oh, we have some of the Dance Dance Revolution. Sarah was over earlier. You guys got a little pre-show test. Uh, Sarah was uh, checking that out. Uh, this this is kind of interesting. This fellow, I, we were talking to him earlier. He had um, took a vintage pinball machine parts and turns them into coffee tables. It's like, are they playable? Uh, I think this one's like twelve. <laughs> no, it's not playable. It's just for parts, and some of these, and even some of the parts have been three D printed, and it was like twelve hundred dollars for one. But that's it's neat. Don't get me wrong; that's pretty cool. Uh, got blinky lights. Yes, it does. I, maybe that's why. I think Sarah wanted one, and that may be why because of the blinking lights. That is cool. Yeah, that's some of the like the homebrew. Uh, oh yeah. Um, Arcade type uh, parts there. That's 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 cool. That's the cool. little you mini arcade. Oh, we got a tiny TV. You can change the channels. Retro. Oh, we got a little tiny, little tiny, remote. tiny TV. Oh, it even has a little tiny remote. Oh my goodness. And you can watch it like a TV. Yeah. The uh, files when you switch between them will actually start at different points in the file, so it's like watching real TV. Perfect for work. They'll never know you're watching TV. <laughs> never know you're watching your tiny television. 
With my eyesight, I wouldn't even know I'm watching TV. Oh. <laughs> right, right. You know, why, why does that guy have a magnifying glass all the time? You're trying to watch TV on this incredibly tiny television. Now all I know why you and Mark wear those show. magnifiers. <laughs> You're watching TV the whole show. Oh, uh, when I'm working with a little electro. Uh, yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm watching a very tiny television. Yes, I, I, the secret's out. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Well, so welcome to Terry. Right. Steve has joined Let's, us in uh, in the chat. And he says, great. I log in for the first time in weeks and you're all hanging out at a garage sale. Oh, garage sale, yeah. There's no couches, though, so we're okay. Oh, some more Atari uh, consoles. and your eye out for a Tandy shirt of some kind. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm on the lookout for anything Tandy. Anything Tandy. Anything Radio Shack. I haven't seen anything yet, but... Uh, I'm not even sure what I'm looking at at this point. My phone's so high up in the air, but that's that's okay. Uh, oh, retro on five, but like I said, very very busy, very beehive of activity. And uh, I think I was already down here. Oh, I'll get this right eventually. Let me uh, quickly move over to the next uh, row here. See if we see anything else uh, of interest. And. Uh, See here, we have some uh, and some more uh, more games and bins. Good stuff. I'll have to I'll have to take a closer look at that uh, later. More games and bins. More games and bins. Uh, there's some. We have some of this. Oh, here's some uh, Atari games. Uh, even a few in uh, in box. And uh, oh, sixty dollars for a copy of Hero. Wow. But Porky's is only fifteen. Okay, that's uh, that's great. But uh, do they have ET? If you need ET, I'm sure I have an extra one, Marco. <laughs> if not, I'm sure we can dig one up for you. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. Literally. Oh, there's a there's a Sears Tele Games Pong. That's pretty old, and then an original Odyssey. Oh, the the first Odyssey from '72. Yeah, it looks like it looks like but the overlays and everything for two fifty and uh, and uh, whatnot. That's 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 pretty cool because yeah, that's uh yeah Pong four. I have the I have the color I have a color Pong from Sears. That's that's uh, that's pretty cool. How much is that, Simon? Uh, Simon is twenty dollars. Okay, I have one. I was just curious what they go for. Oh yeah, I we got a bunch of uh, stickers and. Uh, so there's no oh, there's old a, uh, a Tandy, um, you know, Pong games or anything. I haven't seen anything Tandy or Radio Shack yet, but there's a uh, Lego-looking uh, Mario television. That's uh, interesting. Looks like a Lego NES too. While we're uh, while we're out here, that's uh, that's different. Yeah, that TV is kind of yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's uh, looks like it's uh, made of Lego. That's uh, oh, it's not a real TV. No, it's made. You see the fellow here. He's oh, cranking the, uh, cranking the, uh, <laughs> there he goes. Oh, I like That's his uniform. Awesome. I like his uniform. He's a red shirt. Oh, yes, his uniform. I like, his uniform. like your uniform. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to live long and prosper. In that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. We're gonna we're gonna move on. Oh, pardon me. That's okay. That's okay. We're we're all just moving around. Got some. Uh, oh, there's Zach. Oh, Michael, 
Microvision. I have one of those too. Hey, Microvision. Uh, Microvision. Wasn't that, that that little television set we were just looking at earlier there? But the uh, uh, oh, blip. Microvision. Yeah, I know these things. Blip. Blip. Yeah, I, blip. Okay. Yeah, there's blip. There's, uh, these are cool. Electronic baseball. Yeah, there's some there's some neat stuff here, and then we have some arcade magnets. Uh, well, we're looking at what here. our landfill is full of. Right, right. There's a lot of a lot of cool arcade magnets we have here. That's awesome. Good stuff. Thanks. Neat. Oh, pardon me. It's okay. Oh, oh, look at this. We have arts and crafts. Look at look at it. We got some. We got some. Get some Ninja Turtles. We got the, the the Metroid guy. Oh, there's that dog that everybody wants to shoot from Duck Hunt. <laughs> yeah. Ball out. When it laughs at you. Are these, right, offici are these officially licensed by Nintendo? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that, that, that question is just dripping in sarcasm. I know. There was a dinosaur there. A dinosaur. Oh, there's all kinds of dinosaurs here. <laughs> Some Warner Brothers stuff. Uh, yeah. Are we gonna absolutely get all kinds of? No. Uh, I don't think anything we're doing is even remotely. Remotely, even. I don't think any. I don't think any YouTube algorithm is going to find that one. Oh, what do we got here? We got uh, more, uh, more uh, games. Was a lot of games. It's a popular area. It's a popular spot here. A lot of games. Wow, a lot of games. Lot of games. Yeah, a lot of games. A lot of box games. Uh, NES. Super NES. Uh, there's. I'm, I'm sure there's some in there somewhere. It's very, very popular. Oh no. Oh, let me get down here. We have the $5 game boxes. Yeah. Like I said, a beehive of activity. Beehive. Absolutely. And, uh, oh, there's, uh, there's Wario. I saw Wario walking around here earlier. Uh, yeah, more, more games, more games, more games, more tops of people's heads. Oh, there's a, uh, there's a Famicom. There's a superintendent you were asking about, go. And uh, there's some bins of uh, Super Nintendo games down here. Yeah, are they selling any retro right there? <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, here's a NES Pro Play Home Arcade uh, cabinet for 200 bucks. Okay. Well, that's 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 one that's one field down. So I just need to just need to make my way over here. To the middle, so I can get over to the other side here real quick. That's the halfway point. The halfway, about the halfway point. I just it would have been better if I would have went in a more uh, more recognizable pattern instead of this nonsense. There's the uh, there's the bleachers I was in earlier when we started. Oh, this is the uh, I believe this is the uh, booth here. Oh, some uh, oh we have a uh, we have a sign tab. tab. <laughs> Tab right, tab and more bleachers, and then we'll we'll cross over. Oh, I guess we have some uh, energy energy drinks. I don't think I need. Oh, do I need to go to the concession stand? Does anyone need anything? Are we? We're, no, we're okay. Okay. Uh, oh, let's just go in here, and I guess I'll hang a right and just kind of loop around. Um, oh, now here's a uh, here's here's a oh, Jaguar. 
We got the you got a Jaguar. We got a, a mini C64. Um, oh, here's the um, down here. Here's the uh, computer module for a uh, an Intellivision. That's interesting. Oh wow. Um, Intellivision, Intellivision, intelligent television. That's the Jaguar that you mentioned. Oh, and um, oh, here we go, Marco. Marco, you you are good. I there are plenty of ET cards, but I'm sure I have one for you. There are plenty right there, though. <coughs> Sloopy says he has me covered too. Oh, Sloopy has you covered. Okay, well, there there is all kinds of. This is just. I want to have. Oh yeah, excuse me. Pardon me. Yes, uh, I have to come back over here when we're done. Oh here, hey, in sixty-eight oh nine related. Here's some Vectrex games. Uh, here we got. Oh, we got rip off. Would be a Coco version of that. Uh, Solar West. Ooh, Star Trek, the motion picture for Vectrex. And this is Blitz. Is it me or is he frozen? Hey, but it's 68 yeah, or not. I think he froze. He froze. Am I frozen? Yeah. Yeah. We yeah, hear you, though. Know, I, know I know it's warm there, but. <laughs> It is warm, but I. Uh, oh, oh, you're coming back. Ever so slowly. You're coming back. Right when the Vetrix stuff starts. There we go. Am I coming back? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you just hit a dead zone down yeah. here on the floor. Uh, yeah, we're just going to have. We'll move along here. See if we uh, start. Uh, yeah, I see my picture got really small, too. Yeah. It's, um, let's, let's see here. There we go. I think. Yeah, I can't blow that up any bigger. That's it. Okay. Came back. There it is. There it's back. It's kind of back, I think. I'm looking at two very small pictures, but that's just because of my phone. But uh getting all kinds of uh all kinds of uh boxed uh, games here and so that must just be a bad spot. None of these people know the power of the MC-10, do they? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't. I, 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 I'd probably bet that there's probably a high percentage of folks here who have never even heard of the MC-10. What that would be my guess. Deal? What's the zeal? Yeah. Oh, more. Uh, What's in the packages? Is that game? packages or it's funny looking boxes or? Um, funny looking boxes. I see. You mean like the white ones, the Wii games? Yeah, they're all like wrinkled plastic or what? Uh, they're oh, just uh, like left. CD cases. To the, the right. right. To the right. To the right. To the right. Here, these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Those are PlayStation Two games. Oh, okay. They look funny. Uh, must just be. Uh, must just be the internet's uh, distorting yeah, things. Be. But um, oh, we got plenty of we got plenty of buttons. Uh, Anybody need their Kmart layaway button? They got one here. Oh, Cleveland, Cleveland! Look at that. That's great. Cleveland in the. Uh, Is there the, an uh, I like style. Ike in there? No, no, I no I like Ike. Uh, I don't think that probably has a big market at this point because. Oh, there's a mini wizard. Let's see here, we got any? Let's go around the corner here. Uh, more. 
More uh, boxed, uh, more games here. My way around here. It's warmer in here than I remember now. Maybe, I don't know, because I'm walking around so much. Well, each walking person around, is 300 BTU. Well, there you go. You Okay, you do the math and you get back to me on that, Ron, okay? That's How only many that's BTUs only, we have here? That's only if they're British, though, right? <laughs> right, right. That, otherwise, otherwise, it's something else. Is it like uh, freedom units? Um, let's see here. More Xbox games. I look for more classic computers, classic computer stuff. Let's see what we got here. So more, uh, more games. You know, uh, we have here. Oh, I don't know what this is, but it's a red one. What's that, Ron? Uh, I was thinking if you hit the fire alarm, you can uh, pretty much choose what you want. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. That, you went down do that. Size again. That would, that, would not be, that would not be nice. That would not be nice. No. Oh, look at this. We got to... There you go, you're back. Awesome. Thank you. Um, what was that blinky? Here. What was blinking? No, blinky. I saw the red yeah. ghost from Pac-Man. Is that a standalone ghost? Oh, that was just, just a... There it is. Oh, that. Yeah, there it is. It's just a... Oh, it's... It's, it's kind of... Yeah, it's... It's an optical it's illusion. It's half blue, yeah. half red. Yeah. Yeah, it's an it's an optical illusion as you move. I know, right? The reticulated or whatever you call that. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I forget what that is, but that's uh, that's pretty cool. I've seen like some Pac-Man shirts. I'm a fan here. of Blinky. Blinky. Oh, there's a Coleco Telstar. I had one of those. Way, way back when. I mean, that was probably the first console I ever had. First video game thing, anything I had, even before I had a Coco. But, uh, oh, we got some what? We got some plush. Got more uh, more games. Again here. And, uh, boy, this tripod's holding up really well. Oh, there's a, uh, oh, someone's in the way, but there's a Pac-Man-themed Red Bull. Uh, container there. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, more games. Oh, that's interesting. Pack Mania for the NES. Uh, Tengen type packaging. That's interesting. I had to come back and check that out later. Oh, Rainbow. A Rainbow Bright game. That's, uh, that's different. Wow. Uh, Bunch of little toys and collectibles. And, I already bought two. Oh, artwork, artwork. That, that's 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 good stuff. Okay, and uh, or consoles. Oh, Super SpongeBob card. There is it. Oh, cool. Record art. Uh, more. Oh, man, I think you're going to be having to buy a U-Haul to take all the stuff back home. Oh, I, I can't. I can't take it all home. Some of this I already have. I don't need to take it home. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hello, David Ladd. Good to, good to uh -oh, hear. Oh, David Ladd's here. 
Uh, you know, I'm on the look for floppy disk, David. I have Sarah looking for them also. So when we find some floppies, I'll let you know. Ooh. Um, ooh, yes, David. Oh, here we go. Here's a um, here's a here's a Commodore 64. The, uh, the wait, Defender uh, the looks like. Oh, that does look like Defender. It says "Play Me." Well, the problem is I'm not left-handed. Uh, let me play me. Let's see here. There we go. Well, that's pretty good. You've got to learn to play that stick with both hands. Well, yeah, that's kind of hard to do this one-handed, but... Oh, this looks really nice, It's a good version, for. yeah. Sarah must have saw something shiny and wandered off. I don't know what it is right now. <laughs> hope, you have your, hope you have your credit card in your wallet. That monitor has a, has a door on it. It does, but this is this is this isn't as bad as like the uh, the CMA. It has uh, has oh, there's even a, a 1541 drive to go along with it. Um, Jeez, that's huge, isn't it? It is huge, just like a whole other computer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It is a whole other computer. Yeah, and then there's uh, which one is that? This is another. They got it hooked up to an external screen here, but it's one of those like it's like an old one. one portable portable Commodore SX64. Yeah, quote, yeah, quote unquote portable. Yes, yeah, absolutely. That's pretty cool though. But that's cool that it's on an ex external monitor. Oh, Hello? oh, random floppies. Twenty nine pound and portable. Just means you didn't need a you uh, you didn't need a truck to, to pick it up. Right. So that true. Was, that was my first Commodore was the SX sixty four and I still have it. And Jason appears to be muted for some reason. Oh well, yeah, so I make an announcement here, but um, so I don't know if it's overwhelming, but uh, random five and a quarter floppies are a dollar. It's actually a good price. They were and very random. So they don't even have covers on the tables, do they? Uh, there don't appear to be any type of coverings on these particular tables. Some of them do, some of them don't. I don't know. Maybe you had to bring your own coverings. Maybe they ran out. I don't know. That's one thing we do at Cocoa Fest. Well, that's a, that's a whole different operation. Yeah. There's all kinds of floppies here, David. And random floppies for a dollar. So. Random, very random. Okay. Um, oh, new old stock, 25 count with sleeves, five and a quarter, $20, David. They're with sleeves. They're, they're, all, in a, they're all in a bag here. Factory the sealed, 80s air. Underneath. Even has the right protect tabs. Yeah, look at that, 80. Yes, it does. That's awesome. That is, that is awesome. I, that looks like the ones I, would, I used to go to Micro Center and buy. I'm not yep. sure. I, I would book. hope that they would be. I would hope double that density. Are, yeah, I called them. I always call that. That's. I'm not sure if they're double density. It doesn't say, but you would think of what ring? it is in there, and I don't see any. Do they have a hub ring. That's. Yeah, all the high density ones I seem to have not, a hub ring. No, no I don't see a hub ring. So backside, isn't it? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the backside. Uh, oh no, I do see. I think I do see a bit of a ring there. Hard to I've, I've got double density with hub rings too, though. So. Okay. Well, so that, well, that, actually, double density, you usually always have hub rings. High density, don't. So. Okay. Oh, okay. 
Okay, well there you go then. So those are so those are double density then. Uh, High probability they're double density. Okay, that's awesome. I don't. Uh, those are the ones that I used to buy. Those are the ones I called white envelope brand. There's all kinds of cool controllers under here. Some Nintendo and some Atari type stuff down there. That's that's awesome. Uh, what else do we have here? All kinds of stuff there in the back. We'll see here. Anything? Nope. I don't see anything candy yet. Um, some like trading card type stuff. Um, some pops. A Nintendo power pad under the table. Uh, some more uh, artwork. Uh, oh, there, there's a no, 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 there, Marco. There's an Atari uh, ET in the box. Yeah. And Star Wars too. It does a box Star have genuine Wars, yeah. desert dirt on it from when they buried it at the dumper. <laughs> I don't see any type of desert dirt on it, so I I can't uh, I can't say for certain. But, um, oh, I could have used you to play that Defender game earlier, but you weren't here. <laughs> it's okay. That's all right. Oh, she was playing Dance Dance Revolution again. No, no worries, no worries. Oh, here we go. Here's something, Radio Shack. It is a TV game switch uh, for <laughs> NES. There, there's, there's your Radio Shack content. That might be the only Radio Shack content I find here. But uh, yeah, it would be yeah, just a just a switch box for our original NES. Uh, yeah, that's being. Hold it, hold it up there. next to her face, like most people that you know show the show the goods. <laughs> right. Model. Right. Model. Yeah. Model it. Yeah, we're gonna move on. Here's some uh, more old uh, NES, more Atari, some boxed uh, Sega Master System type uh, type things. That's that's cool. That's cool. Uh, what'd you find? Oh, there's a uh, NES Advantage with lots of stickers on it. Okay. <laughs> Any, yeah, that's okay. Oh, that's uh, that's quite the stack of NESs there. But, uh, all right, boy, you get out of breath blowing in them. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why I replaced the connectors on mine, and I don't have to do that anymore. Oh, uh, a Lego Atari. Okay, there it is in the there it is in the box. That's probably just like that other fellow had. Earlier, that's awesome. Oh, free candy. Looks like cinnamon. I'll, I'll pass. Uh, let's see here. More, more Atari, more uh, Sega. Interesting. Oh, let's see what else we have here. We have controllers. More games. Another, uh, another Zaxxon. Uh, let's see. I thought I saw another Vectrex around here, but it wasn't wasn't working uh, when I went by earlier. And uh, oh, there's some uh, Odyssey two games with the handle on them, and uh, Valley Astrocade, Odyssey two games. That's awesome. Oh, there's a bunch. Of, I'm gonna have to come back and look at the ColecoVision stuff. I won't. That's great. Oh, let's see here. Any more games? More games? More games? Bunch of 
bins of stuff. Had a bunch of uh, any black beauties in there? No, I don't see any black beauties, Ron. I'm looking. I know you're. You probably don't have enough of them. Yeah. You need more for your collection. The one joystick looks. Uh, the joystick is looks like the Coco one. No. See it close to you down there. Yeah, it's not. No. <laughs> I wish it was. I'd I'd grab it. It's not. Same oh, case. There's a basketball type game. Okay, awesome. There's even like a. Uh, Oh, like they have stick. The, it might still be in the package in there. Did you see any of those Coleco football games? They, the LED football that used to be really uh, popular? Uh, like this? Oh, there it is. That's the head-to-head -head one. That's the one I have. <laughs> yeah. How's that for service, Nico? It's right there. Very good. <laughs> yeah. That's what, that's what we do, the service. I think there's one little... I used to love it. There's one little, corner, one little corner I missed here. Because, again... One of these days I'll get this right, but let me just uh, try to work my way back up. No, you're doing, I was gonna, that's where great. you're going to find the Coco 4. It's the Coco 4. Yeah. This is awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Nico. I, I heard you. Uh, oh, here, here's what I wanted to show you earlier. The the, uh, the Pac-Man themed Red Bull cooler. So that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Say it it's cool. I don't know if it's rare, but it's, it's pretty cool. And uh, let's see here. One more throw here. Let's see how this goes. Um, pardon me. Um, and some more boss games. And this is a very popular, very popular spot. We have activity here. Not. Uh, Oh, there's another uh, C64 Mini. But, um, what PlayStation is that? In PlayStation, that is, let me... In the white box. It looks like an original PlayStation, Nico. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, 50 bucks for a... Yeah, that's a little shot system. That's it. Um, so, yep. And here's some kind of... Uh, it's like a Mega Drive system. And, uh, oh, Dreamcast controller. Dreamcast controller. Oh, yeah, I'll find that stuff here. Is that but, uh, I think that may have been the only radio chat thing that I saw more of. More box game, more games there and been. haven't seen any Diet Dr. Pepper anyway. No Diet Dr. Pepper. Now, I'm guessing if I want to Diet Dr. Pepper, I was going to have to bring my own. I to bring my own, most definitely. Well, I could go to the concession stand. Oh, oh, and we haven't been to the concession stand yet. Are those oh, record albums? Some... No, this is... Um... Yeah, I don't know, behind. A... You... There? Put your camera up a little bit. There's a bunch this? of record albums over there. No, there's no record albums. This is all... This is all... No. Oh, no, look at last. Look up. Higher. Oh, that's behind me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I can go around and show that to you guys. There's uh, things painted on them. Uh, oh, okay. cool. We got Cuphead. Yeah, I'll, I'll spin around there. Those are record albums. Uh, the other side of it, they have uh, yeah. artwork and whatnot. And uh, more games. Uh, oh, 32X. Don't have one of those, but um, what else do we have here? Some Sega CD. Okay. Uh, Sega CD, Sega Saturn games. And, uh, and here at the very end, we have some... Uh, 
some uh, console right, setup. Someone's there. playing uh, free uh, freeway. Oh, there's ten ten o'clock. Oh, two minutes, sir. Okay, I got some prizes being drawn. I guess. Um, Okay. So, would you say there's a fair amount of old style TVs around? Absolutely, yes. I, I, I've been seeing a lot of CRTs here today. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of CRTs. A lot they're of CRTs, but. Um, they're not really selling any of them. Showing them. No, I don't really see any for sale, but here, here's what you're talking Here's what you're talking about. Yeah, these are record albums. Like I said, this, this is what you saw from you saw from the back that they put some art on. So, we got Doom. Yeah, look at that. That is awesome. Now, are they still playable? Get them. They're so scratched up. Yeah. That, that's why the people were ready to throw them in the garbage. Well, that makes sense. You're not ruining it. Yeah, we're not awesome. going over some mint Beatles or Zeppelin or anything. Absolutely. That's awesome. Though. Oh, yeah. Those are cool. That's awesome. Yeah, that's those are very cool. Thank you. Do you have a card? Thank you so much. Ask if they still spin on a record player. <laughs> oh, they, they're not play, they're not really playable. So. Yeah, but you. Oh yeah, that's a that's yeah. the PC joystick. Okay, awesome. That's um yeah. So that's um. <sighs> there's a lot of there's a lot there's a lot of stuff here, but I think I think that's I think that's really it, guys. I think I've made I've made the complete lap now in my haphazard Yeah, over a Zoom meeting. I mean, unless unless I need to go check out the concession stand, which I don't I don't I don't think I need to do that. But uh, I don't know. After this, I might need a refreshing beverage. You know, there's some type of uh, caffeinated beverage. Is that floor nice and spongy, or is it uh, concrete? It is, mm, I'd say it's got a little bit of sponginess to it, a little, a little bit, not much. It's got a little. Ron wants to know how the floor feels, so it's got a uh, little bit of a sponge to it, I guess. Like an indoor not soccer to, field. Yeah, like an indoor. That's exactly what it is. How about that? Just, just <laughs> like an indoor soccer field. Yes, absolutely. Just like one. That's a. Why? Why? Yeah. Go figure, right? But uh, all right. It doesn't look like they're going to have Dr. Pepper here. It looks like they have Pepsi, but that's that's okay. But um, since I'm here, I'll. Since, oh, that was the wrong button. That's gonna. That, that's gonna. I mean, we've got a, we've got concessions, but either way, either way, let me just spin around here. Either way, I think it's time to end this, but I hope everyone's enjoyed this yeah. walk around from CCHE. That was awesome. I'm warm now. I need to go cool off, but I need to go get some refreshments here at the concession, and then uh, then I got to go spend some money. What did it cost you to get in the show? Oh, I was 10. Oh, there's Sarah. Hi, Sarah. There, everybody wants to see Sarah. There's Sarah. Hi. Okay. Um, so, Jason, yeah, it, was ten, it was $10 a person. Jason Buck Owen says that was fun. Thanks. Awesome. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad he enjoyed it. I hope Good. everyone else enjoyed it too. That's great. Yeah, this is excellent. <laughs> yeah, I spent. I spent. The, I spent the ten dollars. I should put right. that on my Coco Top expense account, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. some expense. Yeah. <laughs> I spent ten dollars, so you don't have to. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. Okay. 
All right, guys. Well, hey, have a great show. I'll see everybody next week. And uh, <laughs> your brother, your brother says it party, sucks. Body break, isn't it? Your brother yeah. said the song. Well, I, well, he would. No, of course he would. That's just that's just. Uh, I, I would I would expect nothing less, you know. But I do have, like I said, I do have the appropriate T-shirt for this. So there you go. All right. Well, let's just say thank you so All much. Right. This was really great. Yeah, thanks. All right. What do you say we have a hey, quick no problem. Break I enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed this much. I did. Yeah. But, okay. What do you say we have a quick right. break and pop a Dremamine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Works for me. Hi. This is Eddie Zerbinski from beautiful Quebec City. Vous écoutez Coco Talk. As you're enjoying Coco Talk, we also want to remind you about the Coco Discord server. This is a place where people come to connect, to ask questions, to provide answers, to share information, and to socialize. So when you're done, why don't you head on over to the Coco Discord server and we'll continue the conversation there. The easy to remember link is discord.cocotalk.live. See you on Discord. Coco123 is the Glenside Color Computer Club community newsletter that's been in publication since 1985. While the Rainbow Magazine may be gone, it doesn't mean you still can't have a cool Coco periodical. Head on over to the Glenside Color Computer website at glensideccc.com and then click on the Documents link to view all the past issues of the Coco123 newsletter. Not only can you read all of the past and present issues, we'd also love to hear some submissions from you. So if you'd like to send an article, a column, uh, something to talk about, maybe even a program listing, send an email to glensideccc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. The Coco World Map is a cool community resource where you can view coconuts from around the world. Head on over to map.cocotalk.live and see where your fellow coconutians happen to be living on the planet Earth. If you would like to submit yourself to be on the Coco Map, send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live and we look forward to seeing you on the Coco Map. Hey guys, it's Stevie Stroh, and if you've been watching Coco Talk for a while, hopefully you understand that everyone is welcome to join this show. You don't need an impressive resume to get on. You just need to enjoy the Coco and be willing to talk about it. There is no wrong way to Coco. There is no wrong way to be a fan of the Coco. There's no wrong way to be on Coco Talk. You just have to want to talk Coco. So if you would like to join us, then reach out to us on our Discord server, which is discord.cocotalk.live, or send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live, and let's get you on the show, and let's talk about the Coco. Hi, I'm Tim, and you're watching Coco Talk Live. And I'm playing Daggereth online like that idiot from the book. Right, can you can you dial back on the condescension there as you respond there? And here we go. And we are back. Next up, we have a special guest, Douglas Bell. How you doing? Just fine. Uh, glad glad you could join us. To, I did not expect to be a special guest on this. Just kind of <laughs> watched to see what was going on. So you caught me off guard there. But uh, I was started off with a color computer for 4K, 
then upgraded uh, from there as things became available from Candy. As soon as it came available, I upgraded. Uh, my original computer, which was a D board, uh, Tandy could ever never make it work with a floppy drive. And eventually they ended up trading the whole thing out with a new drive and new uh, color computer. Uh, so I had everything new starting brand new with that drive. And uh, ended up getting the X-Pad and uh, played with it for a while. Interfaced my computer to uh, WeFax, to the ham radio, which I recently started doing again. Still need to tweak that a little bit. Here recently just bought another Coco 3 and started getting back into the community and uh, hooked up with Ron. And he told me about this Coco Talk. So here I am. <laughs> <laughs> Well, welcome. So were you into ham radios even before you were into the cocoa and that you just no, slid together? No that, no? Was, no, that was after the cocoa. Uh, I got my ham license. It My ham license has expired since then. My intention is to get it renewed or get another license. Uh, probably this winter when I have time to study. I've been so busy lately that I haven't had a whole lot of time to do some of the fun things that I want to do. Uh, I'm actually retired and I'm still busy. Uh, <laughs> that seems to be a lately, common affliction. Yeah. Here lately, I got hooked up with a company that uh, does insurance claims. And my background is in as a HVAC technician. And uh, they want me to inspect uh, systems for insurance claims. So I got, go out and look at those and uh, report back what I find. And uh, they generally pay me within a couple of days. So it's a pretty good deal. Uh, here next week. Do you all do this every weekend? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, next weekend I'm going to be on the road. I've got to fly down to uh, Houston, pick up my wife, which is babysitting grandkids down there drive to LA. So I'll be going along I-10 through Phoenix Yay. and uh, <laughs> uh, taking her out there. She's going to be out there for a year to babysit the grandkids out there. So uh, when I get out there, I'll be flying back here next Thursday. And where is here? Uh, Oklahoma, Duncan, Oklahoma. Okay. Well, howdy, neighbor. About, who said that? I did. And where are you at? Uh, Oklahoma City. Okay. We, we, I don't see which one that is. Uh, me. Mark. Mark, okay. Uh, I'm looking for you. He's the one okay. running the show. Yeah, okay. You're in Oklahoma City, huh? Yes. Well, I come up there almost daily to do inspections in the Norman area because of that hail damage they had up there. So uh -huh. Might have to hook up for some coffee. Uh, but I was down in Louisiana about six, seven years ago and ran across Boise Pete. And he invited me out to his house and I got to see all his great collection that just 
is amazing. Yeah, and, he started a video uh, series on YouTube kind of showing that stuff up, but it's kind of been in hiatus, I think, for the summer. So hopefully he gets that going again fairly yeah. soon because he hasn't got to the Coco Four shell and some of the really cool stuff yet. I yeah. got to uh, – I actually got to trade him an item that he was very skeptical about that I told him I had access to, and I actually came up with a Color Computer 2 kit – which was everything was in bags, all the resistors, chips. And I traded him that for some other stuff. And uh, he still has that kit in condition, unassembled. Back in the day, I bought 12 of those at the uh, sidewalk sale in Dallas. They had electronic sidewalk sale. Uh, I believe it was the first Saturday of every month. You could go down there and buy anything electronics. And I came across uh, this guy had about 50 of those there. And I think I bought 12 of them for about 25 bucks a piece. Wow. And uh, like I say, I, I probably put together myself uh, about three of those. And uh, then I had a friend here locally that uh, was in the color computer with me and uh, he bought a couple of them. He put one together and had one still unassembled and I was able to acquire that from him and take it to Boise Pete and use it for trading material. So he ended up with that. It's, it's kind of neat. You don't have any more left? No, I don't have, I, I, I probably have access to one that's assembled, but that's not the same. Yeah. But, uh, those do exist. Uh, I've seen one on eBay, uh, but it's been quite a few years since I've seen that. But. Were those sold directly in Tandy stores? Was that something you had a special order or be a school educational thing, or how did that work? I ran across them only at the uh, sidewalk sale. And the story that I heard was there was like a Botech school that had those for the students to assemble in an electronics class. And, you know, I don't know how true that is, but uh, it makes sense. Yeah, we have come across on, on Facebook in the Cocoa Group a couple months ago, somebody posted the actual manuals for those classes, which included putting together Cocos and stuff. So yeah, that, that makes sense that that's like where it came from. So I wasn't sure how that was sold, though, but yeah, but it sounds like it was just an electronics course and they happen to have Cocoa parts. Yeah, but that, that I got those down at that sidewalk sale. Like I say, you get everything down there. Now, when, did they come in a bag or were they in, in no, a it was computer in box? A, it was in a box because the case and everything was in a box, just like you would buy, you know, any color computer from Ready Shack. Everything was boxed up and labeled as such as a color computer, too, and you just had to assemble it. Was everything in the uh, case of the Coco? Uh, Packaged? I... It's been so long, I don't remember. I think it was either that or laying loose in the box, one of the two. I, I just don't remember. Did you, get, <laughs> did you get manuals with them for the color uh, yes. computer? Yeah. Yes. Everything, everything that you normally buy when you buy one assembled came in that kit. Except they probably didn't give you the... Um, <laughs> Solder or the soldering gun, right? <laughs> no, that's right. Did not get that. Yeah. 
Now, did it come with those books that you're referring to about how to put it together, or did it come with some sheets it, saying you have to put came, this here or it schematic? Came or? A, it, it came with a uh, photocopy manual on how to assemble it. It wasn't really anything uh, official like a uh, manual like you get with a color computer was put together. It's just photocopied, stapled together, step one, do this, you know, type stuff. But I, I didn't ever have uh, the ones that I put together. I didn't have any problems with them. I do have a friend that assembled one that did have a problem and was able to diagnose it and replace a chip or something to make it work. But uh, So how long would you say it took you to uh, actually assemble one? Or did you do it hours. in a couple of days? Yeah, it was about three hours. Oh, okay. It wasn't bad. Translation for me would be about four months. Um, <laughs> so I'm taking it you definitely were a hardware-oriented guy. You probably, Did you do some programming and stuff too on the Coke or any other computers? Or? Uh, I did basic programming. Uh, I did uh, sell one of my programs to Chromasat. And it was one of their banner, feature banners for their uh, deal that uh, basically what it, what it was is it drawed the inner workings of the color computer and displayed it using the draw command. Yeah. You put that up on the cocoa group, didn't you? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I just was just going to say, cause yeah, there's a screenshot of it. It's a P mode four, two, six, one, I two. And it's kind of layout the circuit board and where the chips and stuff. Right. Are. I right. Yeah. I, I sold that to Chroma said, I think I got like $95 for it or something like that. I thought that was really neat back then. I actually got paid for doing something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that was probably my biggest claim to fame was that. Uh, now, did you do any original hardware designs too? Like maybe design no. your own cartridges? No. no. Hey, um, I, I did get where I was uh, burning EEPROMs. Uh, did a little bit of that. I didn't ever do any of the programming, machine language, or any of that. Everything was files that I was acquiring from other people. Ron, you had a question. Well, <clears throat> Curtis, um, he has a multi-pack, and <clears throat> he asked me about having to upgrade it and what are the consequences if you don't. And uh, I thought maybe you'd just go over that briefly. Um, <laughs> You're asking me like, a hardware question? <laughs> well, I, uh, 30 years, I used mine, and I never really had a problem with it. It's like, uh, you know, what is the basic problem with um, using a unfixed multi-pack on a 3 some kind of a conflict with a program that you could have once in a gazillion times or something? Or? It was, there's, there's, there's a conflict, if I remember correctly, um, and this affects the Cocoa 3 only, so Cocoa 1 and 2 is fine. Um, it's uh, something between the way the gimme maps of certain registers versus the multi-pack, and it's, it doesn't reserve off the right area, and they can get stuff ghosting over top of each other. Now, apparently from some people I've heard, you can actually cause physical damage if you have certain hardware cartridges plugged in. Game carts are generally safe. But some hardware cartridges have the potential to cause problems. Um, so it, it was always deemed to be safer. Plus, you can get some data corruption and stuff, too, happening if you have certain mixtures of cartridges in different slots. Well, plus, I believe the original multi-pack was act actively hostile. It would write to the gimme's address area, where the newer multi-pack, although it ghosted there, it didn't write there. So you could get away with it on the new little one for a long time. 
now the fix for that is replacing the power chip, correct? It uh, depends which version of the multi-pack. I think the, the different generations, there was two different solutions, wasn't it, Rick? Right. The PAL chip for the old big one and a little daughter board for the new small squarer one. Okay. At the and of course, you can avoid all of that just by getting the you know, Zipster's new Mega Mini MPI, which actually adds a bunch of other hardware as well as a four-slot multi-pack, and it's much smaller. Or like me, use the one you got for 30-some years and never have a problem. <laughs> Aren't the upgrade kits still available from Cloud9? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think there's a few places you can actually probably get this. So, so you're, you're starting to put together your Cocoa stuff again. When did you, um, like it's been the last year or so that you've been back in it or months? Uh, you talking to me? You, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, it's been about two months ago. I started assembling it again. Sweet. Did you save any of your floppies from back in the day? I wish. I, I had hundreds back then, but no, I don't have any of them left. You're starting it's completely fresh up. at this point. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I send them a couple. <laughs> now, now, back in the day, did you stick with the Coco right through the Coco 3? Did you switch to a PC or something else, you know, between the Coco 2 and Coco 3? No, I went, I went from Coco 1, 2, 3, and then I went to the uh, Tandy 1000. And then shortly thereafter, my first IBM clone was a 286. And then I went on up from there. And what, 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 like you, you're, you've obviously done hardware because you built your own Cocos from kits, et cetera. Um, what, what did you use the Cocoa for then? I mean, you did some ham stuff you've mentioned before, but what other kinds of stuff did you do with it? Since you didn't, you say you didn't do too much programming except for some basic stuff and you didn't design any you know, specialized hardware, but you did you know, build your own Cocos from a kit. So what was your main purpose of using the Cocoa? Uh, it was in the beginning games and learn basic programming. Uh, at that time, I also worked for a school system here, and the school system ended up buying roughly about 150 Cocos, and uh, I did get involved in converting every one of them where they had a phone-out jack on it where students could go over to the computer and put a headphone on and plug it into that and do learning lessons uh, that they had on there without disturbing the class. So I modified roughly a hundred of those uh, to work with that audio jack back then. That's cool. Cause I know one thing we've been covering on, on some of the news segments lately is there's uh, is it Michael Pitsley has been getting a lot of the old multimedia Coco one educational systems by Dorset and a few others there that actually had like the graphics and they actually had audio on the tape. And then you have like personal finance teaching or teaching you Spanish or, you know, the solar system or whatever it was. And it would actually, you know, pause the tape. And then, you know, Clyde Tombaugh would say something about Pluto, discovering Pluto. And then it would show a picture of it at the same time. And it was just like this whole multimedia thing going on. So that sounds perfect for what you were doing with the headphones. Yeah, it worked pretty well. But as far as going into other hardware, uh, I was relying on other people basically to tell me how to do that or, well, here's something that we did that I've never heard anybody else talk about. Me and a friend of mine, uh, I believe it, we got it out of the Rainbow Magazine or something. There was a device that the Radio Shack sold. It was the voice box. It was a little box about six inches by four inches by four inches. 
that uh, you could hook up to a phone landline back then. You could talk uh, out loud. And there was an article that came out where you could interface that to the Coco and use it as a modem and send files back and forth between the two computers. Now, back then, the standard modem was a 300-baud modem, 300 to 1,200, I believe. And we was actually sending files back and forth using that device, 1,500-baud modem, or 1,500-baud back then. And basically, it interfaced from the cassette port. You would plug that in. It had an isolator transformer inside of it, and it would send that over that file, over that voice box. So we was playing with that back then. You guys must have thought you were awesome, huh? <laughs> you what? You guys must have thought you were awesome back Oh, then. yeah. 1500 baud, that was, man, that was smoke. <laughs> yeah. And you, did you use that with the school system too then? Like, did you use that to transfer no. files between machines or anything? No. no, we just did that between me and him. Oh, okay. Were you on CompuServe or anything? Do what? Were you on CompuServe or anything? No. Back in the day? No. Now, shortly thereafter, when I went to the 286, I did have my own bulletin board uh, that I ran for a while. I used, uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the software. Spitfire is what it was. Spitfire Software BBS. I operated that, and I tied it in with uh, some other, uh, not Facebook. There, there was another message board that you could actually tie it into where people could log on your... What, like FidoNet? Yes, that's it. Okay. That's correct. Uh, had that all hooked up, and I operated that for about three or four years. Did, did you did you do any BBSing with the Coco before you got the Tandy 1000? Not as a host. I mean, you could have. No. There's quite a few no. of us that did. But. No. And and when you were, had the Tandy 1000, did you still have your Coco at that point, or did you completely switch and got rid of uh, it? I had it for a while, but I ended up trading it off for other stuff. Because I don't fight on it at the time probably the mid or late eighties, I guess, um, had a Coco echo and an OS nine echo. So there's actually a couple Coco specific message groups that you can trade. Right. Button. You know, when I think back at the time when you were, um, first had your Cocos and stuff like me, um, you also had cars back then and cars when they rotted out or whatever, you just got rid of them. You didn't think of a value that they would have in the future. And it was no big deal to just move on to the next thing. Right and now. Everything's back to retro. So, you know, very few people have what they had. Another thing that was interesting when I had the, uh, I had a 32K Coco and they came out with what you needed to do to, uh, to upgrade it to 64. And in some cases they said that uh, you might have a good bank of 32 and just not know it. And it came up with the information I believe is in the rainbow of how you could jumper it out and possibly use it as 64K. And mine, I was able to do that with and didn't have to replace any of the chips that worked just so fine. From what I heard, actually, the majority of them did work. I know mine did too. And I had an old D board that uh, Tandy had upgraded as well um, to 32K extended. And uh, well, I got the 64K idea was, out of it after you did a couple snips of the capacitors or something. Yeah, the idea was when you first got those chips that half of the chips were bad or something. Right. Yeah. right. But most of the time they didn't bother. I mean, they, they just put in good ones. 
Because you know, after the first few months of that, it was cheap, just as cheap to get fully known 64K chips. Yeah. I know Color Computer News, I think, was the first uh, magazine that actually published. I think Frank Hogg actually did the article. He called it 64K for free. And he explained both on a software side how you could test it and also copy your ROMs to RAMs. You could patch basic and other things, too. Yeah. But it was, it was a pretty big deal back in the day, and I think all the magazines eventually covered it. Do you remember back in the day when they had uh, ads for um, – um, well, I back then I had a Model 1. Um, it had 64K, and then they had a, a board in there that said 128K the easy way. And they had a, um, so, some – before I got the machine, they, they put this board in, and they had a uh, banking software program that you could load up you know, 32K at a time, different programs and things, or 16K was it? And you can uh, access each one of these little cubby holes to have like a drive on your machine, which was pretty cool. When you turn it off though, everything's gone naturally. <laughs> but it was yeah. kind of cool to have 128 when everybody else had just 64, but before the Co- way before the Coco 3 came out. Yeah, there was a couple of those actually back. There was a bubble memory one, I think, and then there was a static RAM version that actually would retain oh, yeah? resets and stuff, but it was hugely expensive compared yeah. to the standard one. Now, did you actually outfit your, like when you got to the Coco 3, um, If were you running OS 9 at the time at all? Did you upgrade all the way to hard drives or did you stay with floppies? Or? Uh, no, I never got to a hard drive. I did, I did visit a guy that was up in Guthrie that uh, had his hook to a five meg hard drive back then. He was ro- running OS 9. I didn't have anybody back then I could really associate with and share ideas and really get into OS 9. Uh, I had it, I bought it and uh, played around with it. And that's about as far as I got. I really didn't get into in depth on yeah, it's a bit of a learning curve. And to be honest, I, I probably wouldn't have got into it as much as I did if I hadn't been on, you know, the Echoes on, on FidoNet or on CompuServer, Delphi or Genie or some of the ones that had these dedicated Coco groups that did it. Because if you needed questions, all the big gurus were there and you could ask them. So it was a much right. easier to learn that kind of stuff rather than yes. go through the manual. Now, we did have a uh, color computer club in Lawton, Oklahoma, which is about 30 miles from here. And that went on for about three or four years. And then I started another club here in the town that I live in. Uh, we had that went on for about two or three years. Uh, Where else are you going to get your software? Exactly. <laughs> there, there was a lot of sharing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Distributed backups, we call them. Now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, how big were the clubs? There? I'm just kind of curious. Like how many, how many members did you have both the original club and the the uh, around 25 in each and we uh the one that i started here in duncan uh we had several of the local computer vendors that would donate software and we'd give away door prizes uh at those for the people that attended it it went pretty good for a while and did you guys have uh, newsletters and stuff at the clubs published no okay no you were telling me that you got uh, a thing that sticks in the side of the cocoa. What is it? The um, had the uh, CF card. Yes, I've got both the uh, the super IDE. Oh, it's, it's made. It's made. Uh, it's made by uh, 
Cloud9. Yeah, Super ID with Compact yeah, Plus or something. Yeah, I've got that one, and then I got the other one just the other day The that uses the SD card. Uh, Coco something. SDC? Yeah. yeah, I got it. So I got both those now. And, and how far have you gotten on getting your Coco systems back? Like, what do, what do you currently have as far as hardware goes? Uh, I've got the Coco 3 multi-pack interface. The multi-pack that I've got is the Coco 1 version that's white. So the big but white version. Yeah, okay. big white version. And I've got the uh, the Coco 1 that's white also. I've got both those, but I'm using the Coco 3 right now. And I've got a CM8 hooked to it. Uh, and I've got a few cartridges. I've got joysticks and I've stuff like that. So I've, I've got that hooked up right now. I think I sent uh, Ron yeah. a picture of it yesterday. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's coming along, but like I say, I've been so busy lately. I hadn't had a lot of time to spend with it. And you're yeah. aware of things like the color computer archive and stuff for software? Et yes. Yes. I'm, I'm getting ready. I just got in today an RS-232 pack. So I'm going to be trying to hook it up and use drive wire to, uh, start downloading stuff and put on the computer. Yeah, because I think if I remember there's a big collection. You can do one big zip and just unzip it on the SD card on a PC, and then you've got thousands of disks. That yeah. Go, yeah. So. Uh, what I'm actually more interested in or anything else is utility programming. Uh, that, yep. That's that's what I like playing around with. That download pack that he's talking about has a utility section in there with a whole bunch of utilities on it. Yeah, I think it's got two sections actually. It doesn't have a Coco One Two utility and a Coco Three utility. If I remember. Yeah, I'm not sure. I know back then another program that I wrote that I never did a whole lot with was a program that actually would do a uh, backup using the, uh, I think they had a program out there, the clone disk for backing up uh, protected disks. And I actually wrote a basic version of that that worked on some disks, not all of them, but some of them. Uh, That was pretty pesky, wasn't it? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like warfare. You had to find a um, a particular program that would crack something. uh, Yeah. Yeah. There was a you bunch of back and buddies, spit an image yeah. and yeah. What do you what do you got that'll do this one? You know, yeah. Actually, if you, if you want to get into utility programs, though, I, 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 you know, Nitrous Nine might be a good idea because some people claim that the entire OS is nothing but a book collection of utility programs. <laughs> True. There's a, there's a lot of active stuff. Is actually like a, they've just been porting a bunch of the uh, Linux and Unix utilities over. Uh, a couple of people, Walter Zambotti and Jeff Tennyson, have both been porting a bunch of them over, which we put, a, you know, the first five or six they got completed on the latest uh, Nitrous 90s of Use release. And uh, they're still working on other ones. So there's more coming. But uh, we're getting yeah. some of the big boy software on there, too, which is kind of cool. The longer you, you um, participate or watch the Cocoa Talk stuff, the more you're, you'll learn. It's just like a, yeah. a large thundercloud of um, information dropped every right. week. Right. Well, I am wanting to get into OS nine. Uh, right. I've got I got it over there. Uh, I don't know what version it is, but uh, I'm wanting to learn more about it. 
something. If you're just learning it, I would, you know, obviously this is self-serving, but I recommend the (laughs) ease of use. It's a lot of stuff's already set up. You don't have to sit there and figure out all the intricacies to get it up and running. And then you can kind of learn at your own pace rather than learning how do I make a boot disk type thing. Okay. And, and unlike the early OS 9, which was 64K total, with 64K per process, you can do quite a few things now. Where the, the old OS 9, the original level one was sort of a demo of what OS 9 could be. Yeah. But just as soon as you started doing something interesting, you ran out of RAM and yeah. that was that. Yeah. Also, if you're just getting started with Nitro 90s abuse, I'll mention two uh, Canadian Retro Things channel on YouTube, which is Ken, and he's in our chat often. He's been on the show a few times. Um, he actually has started doing some tutorial view, or tutorial videos of being an absolute beginner, just setting it up. So he's just released a second one, which we'll be mentioning in the news today. But he did one just basically how to set it up with VCC or with a real Cocoa. And this current one is just learning how to get around the GUI and some shortcut keys and stuff. So if, you, if you're just kind of getting started or trying to you know, re, relearn where you left off back in the 80s, that might be a good place to start. Do you remember Multiview? Did you ever see that work? I... I recall the name, but I can't tell you anything about it. Well, that's it's the GUI, and it's it's based on that, but it's much more but it's much more improved. Okay. Yeah, and like I said, Nizabis, everything's already pre-set up. So you just you copy one VHD hard drive image over to your SDC, and then you just boot off that. And that's all you got to worry about. Up and running. Okay. Well, and of course, sure there's new game. There. Like if you said you're into games when you're younger too, I don't know if you still are or not. But there's there's still new game development going on. In fact, we'll be covering updates to three game projects on the Game On News this week too. So okay, it's, it's a pretty active community. I know one of the games that probably impressed me more than anything else back then was Zaxxon. Yep, I thought that was a pretty good game when it came out. <laughs> I was impressed. Yeah, it's author Steve Bjork has been on the show quite a few times, so I'm sure he'll listen and he'll thank you for that uh, compliment. Well, that's about all I got. Did you you, uh, do Tellerator 64? No, I did not. um, did Did you have a printer back in the day? Yes. Start off with the line printer 7. Mm-hmm. And uh, then went to the dump uh, 200, I believe. After that. Okay. So did you have? Did you do some word processing on the Cocoa then? And if so, what what program did you use? Uh, I don't remember. I I did it, but I don't remember what it was. Yeah, I, the older I get, the less I remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so much more to remember. That's why. <laughs> well, you know when when you go. When, to the um, uh, archive, and you're looking through stuff. You'll uh, some of the names that'll pop up. You'll think, yeah, that yeah, one there. I'm seeing you suck that one off and try it. You know. Yeah. Now, are, are you joined with our Discord too? Because if you have questions, that's a perfect place to ask. We have chat channels for all kinds of subjects. Well, I, I have Discord on my phone, but uh, I haven't hooked up with anybody on it yet. Yeah, because we have a Cocoa Discord server, and we've got, I don't know, 5,000 channels now of different subjects, so whatever you're interested <laughs> yeah, in. It's about right. <laughs> you can pick a subject, like if you want to learn about basic, if you want to learn about a, a multi-pack, if you want to learn about some game that's in development right now. Uh, there's just tons of channels there. There's also voice channels if you want to like live chat with somebody. Sometimes that works faster than you know typing back and forth. Uh, people can even do video demos and stuff too, so if, if you're having a trouble trying to figure out something, somebody can share video with you 
and then kind of give you a step-by-step you can follow along and, and do it. So it's a really good resource. Where, where can I go and find that? If one of you guys has the uh, Discord link handy, can you post it in the YouTube and also in the chat here so that uh, Doug can Discord.cocotalk.live. Or you could just say it, yeah. <laughs> and if you forget or you lose your piece of paper, just run this uh, um, program uh, over again, get to this spot, and you'll have it. <laughs> That's what I do sometimes. I think also the first commercial had that because that was the uh, – Oh, yeah. That was commercial zero, so that should have uh, the uh, Discord address in it. Yeah, but it, it's a it's a pretty big group now. I think we have well over five hundred people on there. Not all the time, constantly or anything, but uh, there's a lot of resources. You got a lot of professional programmers, hardware designers, all kinds of people in there too, and casual users too that you know might be able to help you with some stuff if you're just trying to remember you know how quickly to do something. Yeah. When I first talked to him on. Um, messenger i was sending i sent him all kinds of stuff and i told him you're going to get brain meltdown because i just sent you all kinds of stuff that you could try and look at yeah 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 so definitely a big welcome back to the active community of coco stuff there's a lot of stuff going on and a lot more coming so as does anybody on here have the uh radio shack plotter pin plotter Rick, do you have one? No. Um, one, the 215 or the... Yeah, the 215. Are you talking the little that? tiny one or are you talking like the big no, flatbed? No. The, big, the big flatbed. There was somebody on recently on Coco um, Facebook that uh, showed how to make a pen for it or, you know, and they showed it working. Just right. Terry Steggy oh. or who? I can't um, remember, but I do remember seeing that. Yeah, somebody does actually have one running on the Coco, yeah. and they figured out how to remake the pens because, of course, you couldn't buy them anymore for refunds. And, and one good thing about Facebook, uh, if you do, you know, need something and, and you think of it, if you search right, like you do on Google, you can come up with an answer <laughs> pretty yeah. pretty much. Well, I, I do have a 3D plotter, or excuse me, 3D printer, and I have made uh, adapters that you can take a regular ink pen cartridge and hook into that and use it on that plotter. Now I've been using that plotter on my uh, uh, laptop, my uh, newest laptop interfaced through a uh, uh, USB through the USB where I send files. Uh, like I can design something in uh, AutoCAD and take that file, and there's a guy that uh, wrote a program, it's called RSplot, that will take that file, convert it to another file that you can take and send to that plotter and draw all kinds of things, you know, whatever you design on AutoCAD. And uh, I'm trying to remember his name. He lives in the Indianapolis area, and uh, I hooked up with him and and worked with him on the development of that. I said, I'd like to, you know, like it to be able to do this and this and this. He developed a really neat program and it's free and available to anybody that wants to use it. Uh, there's a particular type of interface that you've got to get. Uh, and he has all the details on that. And you have to modify 
I think you got to cut one resistor loose on the inside of the motherboard and uh, you can actually make it work with a uh, Windows machine. So it's, it's, it's still usable. I've got, I've got both the gray version and the white version of those plotters. And it's not the small one. It's uh, no, no, it's, it's the bigger flat. Yes. I didn't know there was a white version. Yes. There so is I had a, a gray version. one myself. Yes. It's heavy. Yes. <laughs> Real yes. heavy. And then, then there's also a version out there. It's a multi-pin plotter that uh, will automatically change pins itself. Uh, that's a fancier version. It's not quite as big as far as the table on it, uh, but it, it there's a, there's another one out there that uses the basically the same kind of pins, and uh, it'll automatically change them when you program it to do that. I had one of those, and I couldn't make it work. I ended up sending it to him, and he's very good in electronics. I mean, he's He's eons past what I ever hoped to be. And uh, he's actually taken the code out of that plotter, disassembled it, compiled it, and uploaded his own version to make it work with a Windows machine. So he put another ROM in it or something? Yes. Okay. Now, he, the, the flatbed printer had a, a parallel port and a uh, Cocoa serial port, right? Yes. That's correct. I'm going to try to get a hold of him and let him know about this. I don't know if I can get him on here uh, next time, but it'll be a couple of weeks before I can get back because I'm going to be out of pocket next weekend. Well, even if you can just pop by, just watch the show, you can you know, chat with us via chat and we can make arrangements for something in the future. So, I'll, I'll see what I can do. See if I can get him on here because he, he really gets into doing stuff with a Radio Shack line of computers. Well, our stuff is very malleable that way, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of us are, you know, soldering our hair or whatever, aren't they? Yeah, that's me. Curtis. I, I suck at <laughs> electronics. Yeah. Then we got people like Rick who actually ran a company that designed their own hardware and sold it in the 90s. So, welcome. <laughs> And he's doing it again now, too. So Yeah, just wait. The new website will be up soon. All right. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Okay. That was fantastic. Yeah. Thank, thanks for coming on. You bet. Got a new neighbor. <laughs> All right. We're ready for uh, uh, some thoughts from uh, um, Samuel Gimes. As long as you put the word thoughts in air quotes, sure. Okay, yeah, <laughs> thoughts. Uh, so there's not a new one this week, so uh, I picked uh, one at random uh, from one of the vintage ones, and we'll let's see what see what I came up with here. Right. And then, uh, Nick, are you ready? Nick I o? am. Yes, sir. Alrighty. And now, Coco Thoughts oh, 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 by oh, Samuel oh. Gimes. I don't think I can come up with any Game On-related thought this week. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? <sighs> come on, relax. Um, um, relax and count. Relax and count. Go ahead and count. Count. Uno, dos, one, two, tres, cuatro. <laughs> 
Rihanna. Come this shot. Watch it. Watch it now. Watch it. Watch, watch it now. good mood that's a classic high score challenge all right welcome to another week of results this week we played mud pies with 11 scores submitted mr dave 7900 tom c 11600 Pedro Pena, 18,600. Just Mike, 18,700. Jim Rye, 29,600. Canadian Retro Things, 33,700. Me, 34,000. Sabhead, 76,800. Tasman, 189,100. David Praker, 287,600. And the number one score this week belongs to Buck Owens with 458,100. Thanks to all this week's participants. Coco Talk salutes Buck, Buck Owens. Owens. <laughs> all right. Uh, Can I all right, Nick, take it away. All right. Let me get my share going here. All right. So, yes, uh, Buck Owens. And uh, after the uh, deadline, he actually broke a million on the game. So I'd say he definitely uh, figured out how to break the game. 
Yeah. Another interesting thing that Buck did is that he actually found the Atari ST version, which is by the same authors that did the Coco version, sold by the same company, Mictron, and actually posted a video of the gameplay on the Atari ST. Yeah, so you can find both those videos on the Discord channel. He 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 posted links to uh, his million-breaking game and to his and to the Atari ST version. So here's the version from here's the score from back in the Rainbow Days, which uh, Buck Owens uh, blew past. So definitely the, the first one it was a neighbor of uh, Mr. Bruce Moore. Really, I wonder if they know each other. They're both Winnipeg. Oh, Winnipeg. Yeah. Okay, I thought you meant literally. I was gonna say, wow. <laughs> I know Canada is, they always say Canada is small, but, and then the review from, uh, from Rainbow that. Uh, hey, Doug Bell, did you used to get Rainbow? Yes. All right. So thanks again to Canadian Retro Things for, uh, he did his channel this week, did a, uh, his video, did a video about the, uh, the game for the Coco Talk Challenge. So check out, uh, check out CRT's channel. So, uh, yeah, so uh, what do you guys think who played? And, oh, by the way, Rick Euland, I, I, Rick Euland, you did submit a score as well. It was after the deadline. It's 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern. So, uh, but, yeah, Rick Euland did submit a score as well. Do you remember what your score was, Rick? Time is hard, 19,000, something like that. It's yeah. strange. The first screen was the hardest one for me. My my best strategy was to get off that first screen as quick as I could and muck around everywhere else. <laughs> so you liked having you liked having screens that had walls in them. Yeah, I could run around behind the walls and hide and things like yeah. that. I'm a terrible gamer. I, I can't twitch. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in the first scene, was there a uh, hot dog? <laughs> yeah, there's French like fries, hot dogs. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Is that a can of paint over there? The interesting and the interesting thing about this is that you can't eat too much either, otherwise you slow down. You have to you have to stay between one and two on your on your hunger meter. If yeah, you go your, above, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say to Ron, that's your big gulp soda there. Oh, okay. Right. So it's kind of interesting. You can overeat. Oh, Rocky Hill thought it was a surprisingly fun game to play. I'm glad to hear that. It's neat that the character can go behind the. Uh, drink there and still be seen oh and buck always reminds me david craker also beat that rainbow score so he and yeah david craker who's been uh been uh really pushing high scores uh these last few weeks he did really well on it and buck owens and one one thing i found interesting because i mean i i played it i just didn't get a chance to play it this week a fair bit but i'm not particularly good at it um, is that the, the mudslinging challenge stages, which I've been to at first one or two, maybe they mentioned that on the third one, the joystick suddenly goes reverse. So left is right and right is left and up is down and down is up. Oh, that's what happens. So they turn the joystick upside down to play that level. Oh, that's mean. <laughs> which yeah, I did not I heard, know. I've never been that far. Cause what I read was, Oh, the, joy, the joystick doesn't work on the third, but oh, the, so they, re they reversed the mapping. That's cruel. Yeah, then you have to switch back to normal once you complete the mudslinging. I think it's a third mudslinging stage is the first one that that happens on, apparently. Wow. That's pretty cool. That's mean, what, but cool. What's the situation where you throw double pies? Well, I think if you're standing between pies and you push the button, it tends to throw more than one. I don't know if it really helps you with score or anything. I think it's actually, I think it's actually bad because you end up wasting a pie. 
I don't think it. I don't think it benefits you. I just never understood why it happened. I do know Bucket mentioned that his way to rack up the score counter too is that he would stay on the screen until every single pie is gone. Try to hit as many clowns as you can, uh, rather than you know just trying to jump between screens. I think as long as you hold the button down and you're running over pies, it starts throwing them. So I think that would be you press the button to throw a pie, and you, the button is still pressed, and you move onto another pie. Then the second pie will launch, I believe. So. And the, the Atari ST version is surprisingly similar. I mean, it's got some enhanced graphics with more colors, et cetera, and it plays, you know, multi-voice music in the background by playing, but the gameplay is essentially identical. That's cool. I didn't know that this game was out for any other. Yeah, Mictron, they, they started with TRSA Model 1 and 3 games, which is where like, games like Time Bandit and Demon Seed originally came from. Then they went to the Coco and, and ported it and made a bunch of originals. And then they eventually got into about 85, 86. They started getting into the Atari ST and the Amiga. And that's when they ported stuff like Mud Pies to the ST and Time Bandit went to the ST, the Amiga, and I think even the PC afterwards. So they kind of branched out and got into the 16-bit systems afterwards. Do you know where that company is based out of? Uh, <coughs> Michigan? Yeah. That's why it's called Mishtron, not Mishtron. Oh. oh, interesting. Yeah, it was originally called Computer Shack, except Radio Shack didn't like that. Yeah, I wonder why. But it's a fun little game. It's got some elements of like uh, a food war, food fight style type game where you're you know, throwing things at, at things, except you don't have to specifically collect like the ice cream cone on the arcade original completed the level. Um, whereas here it's, it's, it's more free form, I guess. Do we have a clone of food fight? Yep. What's food war by, uh, and Lustig is the guy that wrote it. He had his Arcade Animation Inc., I think was his company. He did four clones okay. through his company of different games, and that was one of them. He did we Wacky another, Food, too. So which I was going to say. Thing. Go ahead. He, he did Food War and Wacky Food. One's a clone of Food Fight, and one's a clone of, uh, what the heck, is it Jawbreaker or something? I can't remember the name of the other one off the top of my head. Yeah, Wacky Two food-related food. games. Wacky <laughs> Food, you have to shoot food and pairs, pairs. Or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and that's based on an Atari 2600 game originally, or even an arcade game. I can't remember the exact details off the top of my head. But Hey, Curtis, what's the name of your um, webpage that uh, Doug could go look at for games? It's pretty... Uh, just hit lcurtisboyle.com, the letter L, Curtis, C-U-R-T-I-S-B-O-Y-S and young, L-E.com, and there would be a link for Coco stuff and then the link to the games page and Nitro Sun and a bunch of other stuff there, there so you can kind of navigate the menu. Reviews. Tons of them. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. quite call them reviews. They're they're more uh, informational pages. There's another yeah. guy that actually was doing reviews. He had a few hundred Coco games he did. I've got about 680. I'm about halfway done the catalog. Is that all? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's over a thousand, so I've got a ways to go. And then people like Nick Morandis keep writing new ones, so that just makes me never finish. <laughs> Scott Cooper says, I think Buck could probably roll the score over if you wanted to. Well, at least it scores at least a million, so... Yeah, it's just about no, a million and a half, wasn't it? Or it was over? No, it was huge. <laughs> assuming there's no 10 millionth digit, I couldn't imagine there would be, but then who knows? I just I wonder how long that game took to play. I guess I can see how long the video is, uh, assuming it's the whole game. But wow, I can't imagine how long it took them to score over a million. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I'd say this is the first game where we totally obliterated the high score. And by we, we mean Buck. Yeah. Well, there's no I in, there's no I in team. We're, we're a community, right? 
So I take that as a partial victory for myself. <laughs> so yeah, so it was a. Uh, so I'm glad people enjoyed this game, and uh, it was one another one that I played as a youth, as most of these games that we've done have been. So. Uh, I'm, and it has I'm some nice little bits, like it has a musical interlude, you know, between screens, and when it starts the game, it's got the nice little stretcher people that come out and haul your body off after you get pelted by clowns. Which you can skip if you don't if you want to by pressing the button and it makes the stretcher move fast and all the all the background animation is gone. But yeah, I, I, I like that option. But yeah, it, it was cool. It was good good music and good uh, animations. Yeah, it was an all around well, well a good well balanced game. Yeah. All right. So we ready? Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't have any more tips if anybody else has any tips for playing the game or anything. I, I guess basically the biggest tip is just go watch Buck Owens' 1.5 million score video and you should be able to learn everything you need to know. Exactly. I believe Buck Owens would leave the rooms quickly and go from room to room as opposed to hang around, but I could be wrong on that. If he's there, he can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he would uh, tend to go from room to room. Oh, here's the Mudslinger bonus round. Oh, this is the third First level. One. Oh, third, oh, is it? Okay. It says yeah. level three. This is when the joystick still works right. Part <laughs> <laughs> flips it around on you. <laughs> That's just cruel. So what do we got next week? All right. So next week's game is another clone. Oh, that's Buck Cohen's video, which I never got to. Thanks, CRT, for, uh, for your video. And you can check out Buck's videos in the channel. He, he submitted like three videos this week. So next week's game is another clone. I'm sure Curtis will recognize this game. Whirly Bird Run. That's right. It's a clone of Scramble, uh, except it's a helicopter instead of a ship. Uh, so basically you bomb and shoot the energy tanks, to, uh, fuel tanks to get fuel. And you got to work your way through five levels of enemies, of, of uh, rockets and sidewinders and things like that. So yeah, it's kind of across a Super Cobra and Scramble because Super Cobra, I think, had a helicopter. Yes. So, you're but right. it, it, the levels are more like Scramble, so it's kind of a hybrid of both. Yes. I, I'll so, mention some trivia on this game too. Um, first of all, this is an amazing accomplishment to fit in 16K with all five levels without having to reload stuff off tape. That was a really well done compression. Two, this was the first and only first place winner of the Prism Trophy from Spectral Associates because they had a big contest in 1982 to you know solicit games from authors and they had a first place prize we got a prism trophy and two thousand dollars plus a contract to sell your game through spectral five hundred dollars for second place three hundred dollars for third place this was the first place winner wow deservedly so it's a good game yeah all right it's very well done so whirly bird pro or sorry whirly bird Really weird run, run. yeah. Sixteen K Coco one, two or three required. Um, that's pretty well it. Joystick, I guess. You need a joystick. All right. So thanks, CRT. Thanks, Buck Owens. Thank you, Marco. Uh, Mark, not Marco. Mark. Thanks, Mark. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Okay. Uh, Rick, you're up next. Let me push. And here I am. Right okay. Right. Let's let me. Uh, let me let me run the intro here.
And there we go. And let me share my screen. Uh, let's try that. Can you see it now? Yes. Okay. So uh, somebody was asking, and this is Temple of Rome. This is a, uh, uh, a disassembly. So it isn't the original code. Uh, well, it is the original code, but it isn't the original source. Uh, so uh, somebody wanted was asking about uh, the two bugs that I found while I was working on Temple of Rome 2. So I'm going to look at both of those. Uh, this one here, you can see the comment there. Uh, crop the laser at status area, fixed bug. Uh, so you can see over here there is a, a BLS LD498 that is replacing a BLO uh, LD498. So it's just an off by one error. So when you're drawing the laser, you're shooting, if you shoot the laser pointing up and it hits the status area, we want to stop drawing the laser at the status area so that you don't shoot through the status area. Um, and so that's what that eight there, it, uh, right there is. Uh, that's uh, eight, the, the status area is eight pixels high, which has like the score in it and stuff. Uh, so it was just uh, cutting it off one pixel before the status area. So it would get almost to the status area and then it would uh, stop. So that wasn't, nobody ever noticed, but that was my, wasn't my original intention. So, uh, so I fixed it. And then the other one is very similar. This is when you're drawing a vertical line downwards to the bottom of the screen, it would stop one pixel before the bottom of the screen. So similarly, there's a BNE that I changed to BPL. So it's just off by one, you know, pretty boring, but you know, there it is. It's like, uh, it's something that I didn't notice and Tandy didn't notice and no, probably nobody that ever played it noticed it either. <laughs> if they did notice it, they thought, uh, oh, it's just like a stylistic choice. He's cutting off the, the lines one pixel before the bottom of the screen because it's like the, the bottom of the screen is like a shadow or something. Uh, so that's no big deal there. And just for people that don't know six and nine on semi language, just explain like a B and E, the original one here is a sure. branch not equal. So after the deck B, which decrements B, uh, it automatically mm -hmm. will check to see if it's zero. And the B and E would say if it's not equal to zero, then go. And he's changed it to a branch of plus, which means it includes zero or higher. Right. Yep. And then uh, Steve, who is not here, was asking about um, uh, font handling. And I'm just going to do like about half of it because uh, it's kind of convoluted and I want to, don't want to go too, too long. Uh, there's a couple of ways. The first thing you've got to do when you're uh, like drawing characters on the screen, uh, you've got like strings to find like, like up here. Uh, you define the strings that you're going to draw. And then for each character, uh, you have to map uh, the character to some font data for that character. And so there's several ways to do it. And the way that I did it for Temple of Rom is you have a string that is all the characters that you could possibly draw. And then you have font data for each of those characters. And you, you basically have two pointers. And one points to this string here. And one points to the start of the font data table. And you take a look at the character that you're being asked to draw. Uh, 
which in this case is like in the B register. And it's like, is it an A? If it is an A, you'll do that one. If it isn't an A, then you'll bump both your pointers, this one by one and this one by four bytes to go to the, uh, the data for the next character. And you'll say, all right, is it a B? No, is it a C? You know, and so on until you find it. Uh, and then the font data, uh, let's take a look here. So in this case, the font data is just a stream of bits. Uh, the characters are five by six. So let's do like an A. Uh, so I'm gonna do, you know, like, like so it's got F zero. So there's, I'm gonna put this in binary. So there's F zero, five uh, F, uh, one seven, and then 80. Okay, so that's what all those, all, uh, all those bytes are in uh, binary. And so it's five by six. So we're gonna take like the first five bits and then we're gonna take, whoops. We're gonna What's going on here? Okay. Uh, I don't know what I did wrong here. Uh, well, you can see what I was trying to do, but it didn't work. Uh, there's a, that looked like an S or a, huh. One, two, three, four, five. All right, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, F zero, uh, five, F, oh, 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 one, oh, one, 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 oh, 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 okay. Let's try that again. One, two, three, four, five, six. Well, yeah, the extra because your your characters are thirty bits. It looks like five mm -hmm. by six is thirty. So you, your last right. two you'd be just ignoring. Oh, exactly, exactly. That's oh, so that's supposed to be an A. Oh, 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 right. Okay, it is an A. It's just that it's a funny looking A. <laughs> Let's. Replace the A's, I mean the ones with, with like an X. That's oh, a lowercase a, basically. Right. Uh, Temple of Ram had a really funny font. I made it look very, very uh, uh, like fantasy ish, very Lord of the Rings ish. So that's what it looks like, which is kind of an A. Um, so, so it did work. All right. I just got confused. I should have done the T. The T is a really cool T. I, I was very proud of that T. It looks very Gandalfish. Uh, so, 
So here's the, the, uh, the, the routine for drawing the character. And I'll just get a little ways into it. There's a lot of stack manipulation here, which is really hard to keep track of. Uh, I would like draw, you know, little diagrams on, ta on paper to keep track of all the stuff I was putting on the stack and, and where it was. Uh, so let's see. So this part here is where we're looping through. Uh, this is where you compare B, which is the character, with the character that's in that string that I showed you with all the possible strings. And then if it isn't that character, then U, which points to uh, the font data, you're gonna bump that by four and you're gonna try again. So uh, the, what was the other thing I wanted to see show? Okay, I'm just gonna show one more thing and then I'm gonna quit. Uh, notice that, you know, it's like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, 1, K, L, M, N, O, P, 9, R, S, T, 8, V, W, 4, Y. And the original game stopped at, I think it stopped uh, possibly at 2. And then these extra characters at the end I added uh, for Temple of Rom 2 because I wanted to do more characters. No, there weren't, in the original game, there weren't any characters that weren't used in any messages. I mean, you could do the full character set, but why? It would just use up space, and not all of the characters were used. So there was like a 1982, you know, uh, uh, copyright message. Well, in 1, 9, 8, and 2, uh, you needed those numbers, but you didn't need any other numbers. Uh, and there's a different font set for the score, so you, you didn't need them for that reason. So these at the end, I just added, were extra ones that I added uh, that I needed for uh, uh, Temple of Rom 2. And so I actually, uh, there was an I, and then I used a, uh, this exclamation mark at the end actually mapped to an uppercase I, because I was taken. So that was where I could put, you know, Temple of Rom 2, you know, no, Roman numeral two with two capital I's in the title. And so, so we got, oh, okay, it went as far as Y in the original game, that's right. And then, uh, then we added more characters. I did it in binary because it was easier for me and myself to keep track of, you know, and then a couple more. And that's about it for now. So uh, any questions at this point? I have one quick question on, on your original font map there or the, the actual data table, is there a particular reason you chose to not do like all the letters in a row and then switch to numbers versus mixing them? That, just... Sorry? Uh, I, I, that, I'm trying to think of why that was. I'm thinking I probably had all the characters uh, at one point and then I got rid of them. And the ones that I didn't use, I put different characters in. Uh, I, I okay, so that was part of the space savings. You basically you said, I'm not you're never yeah. using a J, so I'll just put the one there instead. Right. There probably originally was a J, which never got used. And then I realized that and said, oh, I don't need that. Well, I'll just put a one there instead because I need a one. So were uh, you really compressed for space on this? Like, I think this was probably what, a 4K card? Uh, yes, it was 4K. Uh, 
it, I wasn't quite as strapped for space as I was in Shanghai, which was an 8K cart. Uh, Shanghai, I, you know, basically I got it all done. And then the last thing to be added was the victory dragon at the, uh, graphic at the end. And that was a bunch of data. I mean, I had plenty of space left before I got to that. And then that thing slopped me way over. And so I had to cut it down, compress it, compress it, compress it, cut it down some more. Uh, yeah, it's too bad Tandy just didn't let you use a slightly bigger ROM like some of their later games did. <laughs> yes, I know. But they wanted to save money. So, um, so but Temple of ROM, uh, it was pretty close. Uh, and it was too, it was too big, but it, it wasn't too big by a huge amount. So I just started put using every space saving trick that I could think of, uh, and scrunch it down, scrunch it down. And that got it to the point where, uh, I just had to delete like a couple of monsters and a couple of treasures, uh, from the data for the monsters and treasures. And then I was under, uh, so I noticed when I was looking through the game and we were mapping out where all the treasures were and where all the monsters were, uh, there was, there were two rooms close to each other that were uh, very similar, and one of them had a monster in it, and the other one didn't. And I'm pretty sure that they both had a monster in them at, at one point. So that's one of the monsters that I had to cut out to, to get it, you know, just a couple of bytes less, uh, so that it would fit. Yeah, that's something modern day coders just are not used to even having to deal with is, you know, memory constraints. <laughs> right. Oh, shoot. I guess it has to be a, a 1.1 gigabyte game instead of 1.0. Oh, okay, fine. That'll take you an extra 20 seconds to download. <laughs> yeah, you have to remap some texture. Right, exactly. Whereas you're trying to oh, cram exactly an entire right. game into 4K. <laughs> So uh, all of this comes from William Astle. Uh, here's a bunch of stuff that was, well, here's some stuff I had for a Coco Talk once and uh, uh, I got rid of that. And uh, well, there's one that I added for Coco Fest 2019. I got rid of that. Licensed to Tandy Corporation. Well, it's no longer licensed to Tandy Corporation uh, because the, the license, uh, was written in such a way that it, uh, all the rights to the game reverted to me after two years. Uh, after two years, they didn't have to pay me royalties anymore. They could sell the game themselves in perpetuity, uh, I believe. But you know, but then after that, all the rights you know went to me. So you know, I can sell the game legally and everything's fine. Although I'm, I'm surprised it was that short. Just two years before rights reverted back to you. Yeah. Well, but but they you know but that means they didn't have to pay me royalties and they were still selling the game. So. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. You, you wouldn't be able to compete with the distribu distribution size of you know the whole Tandy chain. So. Right. Right. And the the uh, the contract itself is you know I mean the paper uh, the paper copy is lost to the, the snows of yesteryear. Uh, I have no idea where that was and. I have no idea what it said, but I did remember that one little little part. I thought that was rather nice of them. Okay, that's about all I have. Let's see. Let's take a look at the 
Yep, Temple of Ram by William Ashtell. Uh, February 20th to 25th, 2018. So you know it took him five days to do all that. And, uh, oh, um, the direct page variables from zero to FF were all over the place. Uh, when he disassembled it, uh, basically there was a lot of unused uh, data on the first page. Uh, there would be like one byte would be used and then there'd be like 15 unused bytes. And then there'd be uh, a couple of bytes that would be used and then there'd be five unused bytes. It was just like scattered like, like buckshot all over <laughs> the, the, the first page. And the, and the reason for that uh, is that, well, this was done on uh, uh, cassette tape. So all of the variables on the first page were on the first tape. And then you'd have references to them on the subsequent tapes. And uh, so as I found that I didn't need some of those variables anymore, they would become unused. But I didn't have the time to go back and, and, you know, and, and alter stuff on, on, the, the, uh, on the other tapes. On the first tape. Yeah. yeah. So I just left them the way they were. So if you had like five things in a row that were unused, then, you know, that would just be an inexplicable gap. So uh, William was very puzzled by that. Uh, when he disassembled it, it's like, why does he have this one used and then five unused and then 17 used and then two unused? And then it's like, why did he do that? Well, you know, because normally you'd go back and you take those unused variables on the first page and you would just delete them. So the next time you built it, all of them would be contiguous. And I didn't have, I couldn't be bothered to do that. So... That's yeah, especially on when that. you had multiple cassettes with multiple pieces of the source code and you'd have to modify right. all of them to get that change in. Right, exactly. I would well, no, I wouldn't have to modify all of them. I'd just have to modify the the first one, which would mean reading it in, which is 20 minutes, and then you know, deleting a bunch of lines, and then writing it back out, which is 20 minutes, which is, you know, uh, if it was gonna conserve memory or if it was going to make the game shorter or faster or add more features or something like that, uh, I would go through the trouble, but you know, it, it really was just like a, a bookkeeping type of a thing. And so I couldn't be bothered for that. So that's why. Cool. But of course, when I, uh, you know, when I got this disassembly, then I got all of those unused sections and I deleted them. So now everything is, contiguous but you can see that you know with a disassembly uh the variables the the labels are derived from the address at which they were found so you've got v05 so that was at you know five you've got v07 which was at seven so there was an unused byte in between the in between those and then there's uh seven to nine well there was an unused byte in between those two Unless, nine, there were, unless those were two-byte variables. Uh, that's all which they are now that I look over on the right. Yeah, RFV2. But if you look down like your V1A to V4F, obviously there's a huge jump there. Right. Yes. Uh, so I doubt, yeah. So I think that's the V1A is just a one-byte quantity. Uh, I, I made them RMB1 or RMB2 based on just looking at the how they were used in the code. Uh, and so... 
yeah, so B1A, B4F, there's a huge gap in there. Uh, and, so, and, and then some of them, some of them I actually went through and gave them uh, sensible label names uh, once I figured out what they were doing. So maze offset X and maze offset Y, stuff like that. Originally in the, DS, in the disassembly, it was named, you know, V something. And I just changed that to be a little more reasonable. Uh, if over time, I suppose I might go through and change, you know, all of these to more descriptive names, but that's the state that it's in right now. And then here's all the, uh, here's a clear walk through walls flag. <laughs> that's the little Easter egg that I put in. Uh, a, a little trick by which you can actually walk through walls, but you heard about that. Yeah. Okay. Well, shall I close it down? This is any further questions from the panel or anything from chat. Can you play it now? Uh, I could, but I, I couldn't share it. Oh. Oh, uh, if you're asking, you know, is it playable? Yes, it <laughs> definitely is. And if you go to uh, uh, templeofrom.com, uh, you'll learn how to get, you know, a copy of Temple of Rom and how to get a copy of Temple of Rom 2, uh, which is the sequel, with, which is uh, the, the maze is 45% bigger and it has two new monsters to drive you crazy. And it still has the bat, sorry. <laughs> hey. Okay, so let me see if I can figure... Oh, there's Stop Share up there, so I'll click that. All right. And we're back. Go, uh, go back to your right. lab, citizens. Well, one okay. other question would be, what was the actual program that you were using to show the colored uh, listing? Oh, sure. Um, there is a uh, Unix emulator for Windows called SigWin, uh, and I'm running that and I'm using that to remote into my CocoaPie, where the source for Temple of Aram is. And then on that, I, uh, the, the text editor that I'm using is VI. And on the CocoaPie, VI has special syntax highlighting for 6809 and 6309 code. So it knows from the extension of the file, which is ASM, that it's a 6809 or 6309 uh, 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 assembler source, and so it, that that's why it knows to do all that fancy, cool-looking uh, syntax highlighting. Well, it, it uh, the syntax highlighting is not that all that uh, because you'll have things like you'll have a comment that'll say, you know, is it time to clear the screen? Nope, it's not. And the NOP in the word nope will be a different color because it thinks it's a no-op instruction. So. If I knew more about how to do, you know, syntax highlighting specifications, I could fix that, but I don't, so. No biggie, though, evidently. Yeah, 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 good enough. Hmm. All right, what do you say we uh, take a break and come back and uh, do some news? Yeah, we'll do a game on news first, then we'll go into regular news, and we're doing a catch-up week, so there's a fair bit of it, so commercial break definitely would be good. Okay. Okay. Call, call, talk will return after these messages. 
Un ordinateur couleur qui a de la personnalité. Le Coco 2 de Radio Sac. On solde pour Noël à partir de 149,95. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. If you're using your color computer in Quebec and it stops working, is it now a Coco won't do? Hi, Ron Delvo, Timberman, Coco Fest. In a world where RGB produces black and white video, one cable can make a difference. Switcheroo. Google3scartcable.com. Hey, have you got your Coco 3 yet? Hi, this is Rick Adams, author of Temple of Rom and Shanghai, and you've tuned into Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. What's going on, everybody? Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here, and if you're a fan of vintage computing and retro gaming, then you're going to love our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. There you will find custom designs by Instagram artist Joel M. Adams. You can get I'm a Coconut, Coco Talk, and other cool video game images on a t-shirt, coffee mug, or mouse pack. So if you love retro, then head on over to the retro swag shop at 8bit256.com today. Tell them the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. Radio Shack Storewide Manager's Red Tag Sale is on now. We've slashed prices 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%. Save on famous Radio Shack Hi-Fi, car stereo, radios, toys, TV games, calculators, walkie-talkies, and CB radios. Look for the big red tag. Save like never before on these and literally hundreds of red tag specials. Hurry into Radio Shack today. Hi, this is Randy Kindig of the Floppy Days Podcast. I just love me some cocoa, and nobody covers it better than Steve Strobridge. You're listening to Coco Talk. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on News with El Christmas. And now a Muppet News Flash. Take it away, Curtis. Yeah, just uh, getting my share going. Okay, so we're doing Game On News first since we already covered the Game On High Score Challenge. <clears throat> and once again, this is a catch-up week, so there's a fair bit to cover here. So Jim Gary, of course, had multiple um, things in the last couple weeks. First one here is a release of I Ching for the MC-10, uh, which you can see the very bundles here which is based on one by William Mary and Dennis Durr in a 1980 basic version that was really done on the ZX81 in French. 
Uh, he converted, of course, to English here, but uh, kind of one of the which we the appreciate. Yeah, it's one of those classic games. Like every, you know, all the old basic books by Creative Computing and stuff. There was a version of I Ching and just about all of them for old machines. So this was one of the the basic basic games, I guess you would call it. So that one's available from his uh, page. This one, I think Ron might like. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> You're not a Chevy fan? No. Oh, okay. Mopar or no car. <laughs> oh, that that's strict, are you? <laughs> oh, yeah. You'd rather have a unicycle than a Chevy. I'd walk. Yep, walk, ride a bike. Yep. It was, it was a bit of a different thing for Jim to do is like a kind of a a logo of a of a car type thing. I hadn't really seen him do that before, so I thought I'd show that. Not that's really a it, game that's, that's that's what loads. Yeah, it flashes a little cursor in the bottom oh, right okay. there, that little black cursor, and that's that's pretty well it. And this one here he did is <clears throat> called Space Taxi. Now there's a later game called Space Taxi that has absolutely nothing to do with this game whatsoever, that it's been on multiple platforms. So this one, original one here is by a guy named Neil Dewars, as you can see on the uh text here on the listing and this was also a port from the Sinclair ZX81 and this is from Sync Magazine the October 1982 issue um, I'm not really sure about the gameplay in this one per se but it kind of looks like you're starting to steer through this field of I don't know other taxis or something I'm not quite sure so one of these days we're going to have to get Jim back on to kind of explain some of these games I think there's a few of them we've showed. I have no idea what this, what's happening. And then the last one I'll mention from him, <clears throat> they had a, another one of the 10-liner ASCII programming contests um, called Basic Jam. So there's a few of these different contests run by different people. Now, this one here is not his. The Flappy Bird one was the first place winner. Jim got second in this case. Um, so this is a Flappy Bird, I think, down the Auric, actually. And then Jim's second place winner was called Defender, which is not Defender. It's kind of more like Missile Command, but he called it Defender. So he's got a little screenshot there, but he's also got a link directly to his itch.io page where you can download it, but it's also got some better screenshots. I thought I'd show it here. So there's the listing, all 10 lines. Well, that's the rem part of it, but basically the 10 lines previous is the actual code. That's the game. And he's got a little bit of a video here you can kind of see. I won't maximize because I think that screws up the share, but I'll just show a few seconds of it here just to kind of give you an idea. But not bad. I mean, 10 lines of basic to do a, a missile command game with a full city skyline. That's pretty, pretty impressive. So wraps up Jim Gary for this week. Next up. Um, I think I missed one actually. Yeah, I'll have the, the one at the end there. Um, so the Amigos have released Frodo NL, which is uh, Frank from the Netherlands, who uh, has done a lot of, you know, he does all kinds of retro and even modern stuff. He's big, even been doing Pokemon and stuff on his uh, Twitch channel recently. But quite a while back, he recorded the first year of the Coco. Now, the Coco got released, well, it got officially announced in the middle of the year in 1980, and then it got actually released to the public, probably closer to around September. So he covered, he covered 80 to 81 and then threw in a few extras. So this is going through the golden old oldies, you know, the stuff that was actually out before that very first Christmas, which I think only six carts got released by then. And I think nine were announced and the other three trailed, you know, late December, early January, something like that's a little bit late. So he's covering like the old stuff like checkers and backgammon, 
Quasar Commander and Castle Guard's kind of pushing it a bit because that was a bit later. How did you see that? Mm. Now this hey, he's playing these on the Mister, and that looks like the Mister, at least the version he's running here. The the art holy crap, <laughs> the artifacting is a little bit off. It's it's still like the old VCC style. Man, YouTube. Well, sucks. How many commercials are they going to give you? I don't know. This is insane. <laughs> Obviously, my blocker is completely failing me now. It's not saving it a different one. But you know, it's got just basically the pure red, white, and blue. And, and Castlegard's quite famous for showing a ton of different artifacting colors in here. Yellows and purples and greens and all kinds of stuff. It's actually one of the better demos of that. Not a great game otherwise. But but basically, it's a three-hour stream going through all these uh, you know various old games from the first year, year and a half of the Coco's life. Most of them are from Radio Shack. Because, I mean, third-party games didn't even start getting sold until mid-81. And when, when people started doing mail order and actually had magazines that could actually advertise their stuff in. Um, so that... Uh, it's covering the really, really early days. So it's a really good video if you want to get some of the history of the, the first games out on the Coco. And then the Amigos themselves, uh, Boat and Aaron, and of course they're not on the show today, which I'll explain in a second as to why, uh, but they released their monthly Coco show episode. This one reviews Color Baseball by uh, Rick Adams' dear friend Dale Lear. Um, I won't play the whole thing or but, just play the uh, intro. But Aaron, let's let's talk about today's game for the illustrious color computer, Tandy Color Baseball. You know, this is a game that I played back when I owned my Coco originally, back as a kid. And I had played a lot of uh, uh, baseball games on the, like, say, the Atari 2600, the old VCS, uh, and uh, even some handheld stuff. You'll recall the old uh, Radio Check handheld baseball. There were plenty of the, the old dots and dashes baseball. So mm -hmm. I was pretty well versed, I thought. And this thing was put together by a guy named Dale Lear. He's pretty well known in the uh, Coco community. Amongst his other offerings, uh, we've actually covered one on this show. He did a, a game called Firecopter. He did the utility color scripts at two. And he did Double Back Boat, which I believe is one of your faves. One of my yes, favorites, sir. absolutely. Uh, he, uh, this was a one. To I obviously won't play the whole half hour show, but it's a, it's a pretty good review of baseball, um, which is, is is one of the better ones. I remember when this one came out. I'm actually I was comparing it to like the Intellivision and the you know the Atari twenty six hundred version. Actually, it's 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 a lot more sophisticated with you know walks and bunts and all kinds of stuff thrown in. So, pretty good review of it. Now, the reason that Boat and Aaron aren't available today is that this weekend uh, is the Amigathon, when this is their fourth or fifth year i think it is and it's a fundraiser they do um and it's basically 24 hours of streaming uh gameplay now of course their show started as being an amiga show and then they've added the extra shows later on uh so they still call it amigathon just so everybody's it's fourth year i guess from reading here uh but basically they try to raise money for the uh Oh, here's some prizes, too. They're actually giving away some prizes if you donate certain amounts, um, kind of like door prizes. Children's Miracle Network Hospitals, basically, though, but they're doing 24 hours. So here's kind of the rough schedule in UTC. So this is not what we you, most of us are used to, but you'll see um, at 2 a.m. UTC time, which is at 8 p.m. Eastern tonight, uh, or 10, no, 10 p.m. Eastern tonight, sorry. 
Uh, Stevie and I will actually be doing an hour of Coco games on this. So it's no longer just Amiga games. There's a fair bit of that, but they've actually had some Atari people and Commodore 64 people coming in. So it's actually become a very retro gaming thing. And they stream 24 hours of games and people just make donations uh, there. Now, they originally, when they started this morning, uh, their goal was to hit $5,000, which would be you know pretty well record for them. It's grown over the years, but it's a pretty well be the record. They already passed that during the show today that we've been doing. Um, and they've still got you know hours and hours to go yet, so hopefully they'll go up. They raised the actual goal now temporarily to six thousand, um, as you can see here, and they're already at five thousand two hundred thirty-five dollars. So it's a good cause. Um, so if you guys uh, you know have some time tonight, you can watch me and Steve. You can watch all the other streamers too. I think the person right before us, uh, Rob O'Hara, he's a sixty-four guy. He's got a two-hour time slot. Steve and I have a one-hour time slot. Um, I think the person after Steve is Mr. Cole, and I'm trying to remember what he was planning on streaming. Oh. I can't remember off the top of my head. I thought but it is a good Friday. I thought donating was to get you guys off the air. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a serious donation thing. This isn't like a, a joke one. This is a it's a good cause actually, and they've had some pretty mm -hmm. good, interesting streamers. They had people streaming. Uh, I saw a, a girl was streaming Lemmings on the Amiga. She normally does Nintendo game systems uh, retro game streams. And Boat and Aaron keep popping in, you know, in between other people. And they've had guests like Amiga Bill and um, Ten Mark, who's another famous Amiga podcaster and, and streamer, and, and a bunch of others. Um, some fairly big names in the podcasting, like some of the people that get fifty thousand views type thing, are actually guesting on their show for the first time for this this Amigathon. So a lot of people have banded together for a good cause. So if any of you guys, uh, you know, have some spare money, want to throw it the way of uh, the Children's Miracle Network hospitals, that's always a good cause, no matter what country you're in. So. I think it's well worthwhile, and you can also catch Steve and I sucking at games later on tonight too. So it's like a win-win. <laughs> and this is kind of like the live stream chat right now. I'm not going to play it right now because it's uh, we've got our own show to finish off first. But it's going on right now. If we get too boring, you know where to go. Next up, Cuthbert Dragon's been rather busy the last two weeks. Um, now, some of these we've seen before. Some of these are just basically P-Mode 3 versions because, of course, the Dragon in, in the UK and in Europe didn't, was on PAL, did not have color artifacting. So some of these will just be, you know, different screen modes. Like Cashman, you can see down here on the lower right is a, uh, you know, a P-Mode 3 game, not a P-Mode 4 game. But there's a fair number of other games I've not seen before. So Alien Blitz, which is kind of like uh, City Bomber, which was a basic game, I think, on the C64, if I remember. And this is, it looks like it's in basic too. And then they've got some other ones I've never seen before, um, like Maurice Minor, Utopia, Droids, Bug Diver. Um, this, this Tetris clone is quite good too. I think we might have shown that one before. And uh, Strip Poker for the Dragon. I've seen the, you know, the Coco 3 version of it. A Wild West Destiny, which is a graphical adventure game. Yumping Yasser, which is kind of a Jet Set Willy style game. Um, so, yeah, he's got a ton of new stuff here. I don't want the show to go on too long here, so I won't play all of the new ones. But if there's any a couple of these that you guys would like to see, a few you know seconds of video to see what the game looks like, just uh, give me a title to try. Or I can go on to the next story. Your choice. I won't do strip poker. What? Jumping Yossa. Oh, come on. You can do the strip poker. Like I said, this one kind of resembles the Jet Set Willy Manic Miner style platformer. 
where you have to dodge a bunch of things. They'll pixel put over jumps and you'll collect treasures in this case, like the key, for example. And all uh, this is something common on a lot of European games of this ilk is that they actually name the levels, which I, we didn't see too much here. They would rather say nothing or it might say level one. You can see this particular screen is called Dave's Den. Here's Glenn's, what is that, Garrett? So there's, there's multiple screens like that as you go through the game. I'm sure how many covered in this particular video. Nelly's room. The graphics themselves in this particular one kind of remind me of Module Man by Spectral Associates a little bit. Anyway, standard uh, dragon style platformer. Any other ones when you guys want to check, or should I go on to the next story? That sounds like a good one. What's okay. Utopia? <laughs> Okay, it's kind of a Xevious style. Okay. Which would look like like maybe upside down salt, salt shakers coming down at you. I'm not sure. Yeah. And to be honest, this one looks like one I should maybe go uh, six through nine eyes a little bit. <laughs> I could definitely speed up that scrolling. <laughs> we have to mention here that Nick is not being paid to promote these. It's just really curious. <laughs> Well, once again, this shows the diversity of the dragon, and we'll be covering that on the dragon special because we'll be talking to some of the game developers on that show on August 14th. And uh, there's a different mindset to European gaming. And um, they had a lot of games. They did, you know, the standard clones. They did their own versions of, like, Whirly Bird Run that we're doing this next week here is a clone of uh, Scramble Slash. Why am I blanking on the other one? Nick Moroda, can you help me out? What was the other one I said? <laughs> But anyway, uh, they had their own versions of that too, and they had their own versions like Xevious, like this one is. But they also had a lot of original games that we never saw up here too, and some were gameplay genres we wouldn't see too common here. Um, so it's it's a very interesting that there's such a different market. And we'll get into that when we get into the Dragon Special, which so far I think we've got confirmed 13 or 14 guests. There's a couple that might have to do pre-records, might not be able to make it live, and there's a few that might not be able to make it. Period, just from things going on. But it's going to be a huge panel, so expect a long show, but a very informative one. Okay. Not many others here are worthwhile. Taking are you saying we need to pack a lunch on that on that day? And a diaper, yeah, pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> is that the uh, guardian that uh, we love so much? Yes. Yes. Ah, yeah. Same bad collision detection on the shots as the uh, original Coco one. Well, this one I might show here too because we don't have too many sideways scrolling racing games. some reason on the North American market, most of the scrolling racing games we had were vertical. Like, I, I don't know why there's that difference between the two countries. But pretty decent speed-wise. Sounds sounds pretty good. Nice, nicely drawn cars. Is that Mr. Bean's uh, meeting here <laughs> yeah. with the Formula One? It cars? could be. <laughs> I like how they've, they've reduced the actual scrolling as much as possible. It's only two lines and the opponent car. Scroll. Yeah, and it's not even the full lines because just those circles are in the middle of the line to give the illusion the whole line. Exactly, moving. like two actual text lines. <laughs> yeah. Car. And it does give you good speed, so I mean, it does the simulation well. Taking you out. 
Anyway, there's a ton of videos there, and he's, he's, he posted some of these actually just this morning. I don't know if he's got more planned, you know, coming out later today, but uh, pretty much. Ironically enough, Glaxtex, which I think was our game last week, uh, you can see the P mode 3 version of it there for the dragon, so they got color on it. And then quite a few of the others are, you know, clones of various Coco games or the exact Coco game just modified for the dragon. Next step, we have Ben Manuel. He's working on a simple dungeon game for the Coco 1 and 2, and he's put up a short video showing how he taught the game to see his randomly generated walls. And he moves the white square around. The walls that he comes in contact light up, so it's kind of like test code. So it's, it's kind of a neat way of showing a way of not, I wouldn't quite call it debugging, but you know, testing the code itself. So he's the, he's the one center white square, and then it'll light up the squares that it figures out that he's running into type thing. as all kind of a wall detection to make sure that you're not you know, going through a wall in the game itself. So, And he's actually is planning on making a full dungeon crawl out of this, which is pretty cool. So I'll keep an eye on his page and see what, uh, what further happens on that uh, project. Next up, Steve Bamford, who's going to be on our Coco Talk Dragon Talk special August 14th, um, has released a video update. I know he also did a blog style post about it in our Discord, and I think he might have later posted the Dragon Group too. But he's been talking about uh, the Cersei's Island game, which he hasn't touched in a while, but he's got back to it. I know Nick Moroda's pretty happy to hear that. So this is a game that will be on a Game Master cartridge. So it actually has full background music, multi-voice music playing in the background. Runs on any Cocoa 1, 2, or 3, basically. And now he's started adding in, if you get certain items, you will actually unlock a secret level. And this little short clip here kind of shows you that happening. It won't show you the secret level itself. It'll show you how to get to it. So I'm not sure how loud this should be. Tell me if this is too loud or too quiet. Just right. animated sprite, especially for that lower res he's using. So the basic premise there is that you, you, if you get the complete set of items, that little flashing door will show up, and that's your entryway to the secret stage, and he's planning on having multiple ones of those throughout the game. So that, that's a nice nice feature he's added to it. He's shown the you know, gameplay of this, the standard gameplay stuff uh, in previous videos, but yeah, he's pretty excited about getting back into it. And if you guys have any questions for him on the game or, you know, how he developed it, et cetera, he will be on the show on the 14th. I'm sure he'll give us an update on that particular game uh, during that show and plus talk about some of his older projects like uh, Flagenberg. And um, I I'm really excited about the Dragon Show. I know Stevie is too. Uh, there's just, uh, the we've been trying to get this going for months or actually years. And uh, now it's all starting to come together pretty good. And we've got a really good guest panel. We've got hardware people, software people, game streamers, casual users you know everybody in between so definitely get your questions we're just gonna have to come up with a format to make sure everybody's not talking over each other because it's going to be a huge panel if we have a, our i'm expecting a larger panel of us to ask questions and plus we're gonna have like you know 12 to 15 of them depending on how things go on top of that so we might have like 30 or 40 guests which i think is the largest panel we've ever done so hopefully zoom and the internet don't break but yeah, uh, we've had like 20 or 21 max so this is probably 
double uh, will happen again this match. Yeah, or or double potentially, depending. So yeah, potentially. Really look, yeah, really looking forward to that show. So that's the first of three game, new game updates coming. So that's the first one from Steve Bamford. The second one is from Glenn Hewlett. So he did an update on Joust, uh, which he's been porting, and he's also uh, hopefully he'll get back to the Defender port now that he found some of the tricks that Williams was doing that might have be what was causing Defender because he worked on that a few years back, even demoed it at Cocoa Fest. Uh, it was starting to just randomly crash, and it looks like that's some sort of self-modifying copy protection that was a little bit hidden. And he figured this out during Joust, and he's actually got Joust now to the point of doing all the intro screens from the arcade game. Um, so hopefully we'll get back to that one too. But he's gotten pretty far pretty quickly on here. And he has this whole uh, blog posting here talking about the compression. They're using uh, ZXO compression, and I don't know how to pronounce the guy's name. But Doug Mastin, who helped write Contras on the Coco 3, uh, wrote a very fast, very small 69 decompression routine. So this allows him to load large amounts of data off, you know, the standard size Coco floppies and then decompress it so that you're, you're fitting a 300K game onto 150K disc type thing, which is definitely needed for something, you know, all the different graphics, et cetera, on it. So he kind of explains some of that stuff here on the blog post, which you can read, but I'll show you the actual video of it playing and I'll play this whole thing. Now he upfront said he was quite tired when we recorded this video. So he kind of sounds like he's half asleep. He's doing his Nick Morenti's impression. <laughs> uh, but he kind of explains, you know, how he's how he's going on the actual thing here. And I'll turn the volume up a little bit more in this because it's a little quiet. But a very impressive start. I even like his, you know, semi-graphics text screen here. Okay, here we are with my Can you guys hear that? Conversion. Conversion Might we turn up just a little bit more? Shows the three demo screens now. The first two were working before, but now the third one that shows the simulation is well, we can hear that it's maxed out still a little glitchy but it's neat to see on the coco this of course is a transcode not an actual just you know a port it's I've written some code converting the actual arcade code like the blitter in gel or williams arcade um, machines But it's not perfect yet. Now this screen, you'll start to see some of the glitches because he hasn't optimized the uh, you know, compiled sprites and stuff yet. Well, the ostriches should have little guys on their backs. You can see a little tiny dot where the lances should be. But the uh, litter code I have doesn't do transparencies. So it just erases little guys on their back when it draws it and it runs a little slow right now too but he's, he hasn't optimized yet start flying i have to figure out what's causing the glitching out oh. but overall i mean if um you know aside from the glitching of you know, him missing men on some of them and some flickering on the screen, it's running a little bit slower. It actually looks pretty darn close to the arcade version, so he's, he's come along quite well. It's a little wonky because of the uh, same hmm. blitter code that I have. So anyway, it's good to see that he's made a, a fair bit of progress on it in a fairly short time since he got back onto the project and... Uh, Hopefully he's found all of the little hidden self-modifying bits. 
so that uh, once he's done this one and hopefully gets it done completely and out, that uh, he can go back and do Defender, which is what I'm really looking forward to because that, that's uh, one of my favorite arcade games of all time, even more than Ghost is, even though I suck at the game, but it's, it's a lot of fun. And then speaking of Joust, Erico, who's done a you know a ton of stuff, and he's the master of doing low-res graphics and making them look awesome because he's been doing the semi-graphics, you know, street fighting style games, etc. Is planning on doing a PC game here, uh, which he's currently calling Fight, though that may change, which is kind of a cross of Buzzard Bait and Pegasus and the Phantom Riders. And you can see a screenshot here. Now he's specifically designing it to run on a 16 color palette at 160 by 100. And uh, he's thinking on the Coco 3, we might do it at 160 by 112 and a half, which is the, you know, the 225 scanline mode, but with the half vertical resolution. And Nick, I think you used that on Gunstar or something pretty close to that, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's good, a good mode. Yeah, because it's small enough that you, you move you know, a large amount of graphics around pretty quickly, but it's still 16 color depth and enough detail that you can actually do some pretty decent yeah. shapes. And here's an animated GIF of some of his uh, player move or. Uh, players in a positive movement. Yeah. And, you know, the palette he chose that he's using for it, et cetera. So game in progress. He's going to be doing the PC version himself, and then he wants somebody on the Coco to possibly convert it. He'll give you all the graphic assets and stuff, so you won't have to do any drawing. You'll just have to actually, you know, like you write the game core code. And it's a low enough res that it shouldn't need, like, super optimized code to run in a decent clip. So that'd be pretty cool. Except this, this was a rather interesting one here, and I remember seeing these in the Radio Shack stores, but I never really took that good closer look at the box. So this is the Deluxe Competition joystick, which somebody mentions a rebranded something or other joystick. Uh, I don't remember what it was, but it's the Archer brand in this case. So it's sold in Radio Shack, and Archer, of course, is running Radio Shack's internal brands. So it mentions the fact that it's for the Atari 2600 in the Sears Video Arcade, which is the Atari 2600 clone. Oops, that's Sears sold. Also good for the Atari 480 computer, the Commodore VIC-20, the C64, and the NEC PC-6001. And then it probably shows Megabug on the Coco, which it doesn't work yeah, with. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was rather odd. And I, the guy pointed this out when he posted the picture, and I never noticed that back in the day. But yeah, you're right. One of the few joysticks that Radio Shack sold that did not work on the Coco, and they put a Coco game blazoned on the box in full color that the other machines don't. They have, you know, dung beetles uh, or whatever else, but not the same game. It's a but game they had odd. the license to. Hmm. Yeah, I guess. You could have either figured they would have picked something that would have been cross platform like Zaxxon or something else had licensing too. So I wonder if anyone bought the joystick and said, look, I want the game that this joystick's designed for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I mean, that game came out as, as Dung Beetles on the Apple II. This doesn't work yeah, for the Apple it, II. It didn't, nah, yeah. <laughs> came out as Megabug on the Coco. Doesn't work with the Coco. Did it Was come there out a C64 on the Atari? version, though? There might have been one that might have worked. Maybe the Atari. I don't know. Yeah, either Atari C64 might have had a version. I don't know what it was called, though. Uh, yeah, it could have been either one. I mean, there's 6502 as well. It's just the graphics have to be changed. Yeah. So, and, an interesting and, bit of trivia there. And those colors are not the Coco colors anyway, so. Well, they are if you screw around with your tint control. Oh, maybe. <laughs> Which is why some people have very different ideas of artifact games should look on the Coco compared to the person standing next to them. <laughs> just depends on what their TV was tuned for at the time. The first color TV my parents bought had five different adjustments for color. I was the only one in the house that could get pink, get regular flesh tones. <laughs> 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 the TV. 
Well, I, I know about color, which is kind of like the color brightness and then um, or intensity, I guess, and then tint, which would you know shift between orange to green. What were the other three controls you had on that? Well, I had a phase control and uh, color. I, I would almost have to look it up, but yeah, there were five settings to set your color. Hmm. It was amazing. According to Wikipedia, there was an Atari 8-bit version of Dumb Beetles. Ah, okay. So they had one that it would have worked with. Yes. Yeah, possibly. And it could probably create those colors too. Yeah. And then here, I won't bother zooming it up here, but this is the one that was rebranded. It was a the Spectra, Spectra video. video. Yeah. Spectra Vision, rather. Oh, he said Spectra Video there, but Spectra Vision is a company. Is that the name of the stick, maybe? I'm not sure. I, I thought so. Yeah. I never played with one of those, actually. I don't. I remember seeing them advertised, but I never, never tried one. Hey, Curtis. Yo. You know, I, uh, I just got this here from eBay. It is the uh, command controller. It's to turn your home computer into a video game center. It's a uh, for use with the Radio Shack TRS-80 color computer with any WICO command control uh, joystick. So that's the... Uh, right here, let me, let me stop sharing briefly so you can actually uh, show that to everybody. Okay, so that's a... Uh, Digital to analog converter box, yeah. Can you, can you zoom yeah. up there, yeah. Mark, so that people can see it? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had to wake you up there. Um. <laughs> I've got, I've got uh, one of those that Zebra Systems modified for the Coco as well. Yeah. Uh, I can't find the zoom button. Anyway, we saw it. Oh, we did, but the other thing see is a tiny potion stamp. That's yeah. <laughs> All right, here uh, it is. There we go. Oh. Has anybody ever seen these before in Radio Shack? I don't remember seeing those at Radio Shack. Uh, no, they were, they were easily modifiable, so a lot of third-party cocoa companies sold them as a way to stick your Atari joysticks on your cocoa. Okay. And, of course, we have modern uh, versions of that as well available right now. Uh, Neil Blanchard, I believe, sells uh, uh, one of the one of the sets. Oh, yeah, here we go. Ta-da! Another one. <laughs> Ooh, a <laughs> now single one. Everywhere. <laughs> now they're all over the place, right? <laughs> From being weird. relatively unknown to everybody's got one. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. I cannot spotlight Nick Nick Berenti's. Huh? Okay. Uh, well, Nick wasn't showing anything, so that I wasn't like showing anything. Oh, you don't have a video going. No, well, no. never mind. We'll move That's on. Probably the main <laughs> it was me, but it's okay. We're good. Back to sleep. Yeah, I think you need more coffee there, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> they gave me sweet tea instead of unsweet, so I couldn't drink it. <laughs> this stuff is all day. It's kind of bad when our producer falls asleep. Do your <laughs> your uh, <laughs> changed again, Patrick? Oh yeah, this is a Delmar System Five. Yeah, yeah. It's been oh, changing. Oh, uh, yeah, on the six-day game machines. We'll, we'll go into that right after I'm done the news segment there, uh, Rick. When it comes with the mod one. <laughs> I think I'm already uh, sharing the, the next game yeah. on news here. So we'll cover that one before I switch to regular news. Okay, so this next one was the one I missed earlier. So Alan Huffman had posted a link on YouTube, and this uh, goes through the history of Star Trek-based games from 1971 on. So these are the old text-based ones done on the, on the mainframes and the minis and stuff. And then kind of goes through the history of them. Uh, culminating in, in this particular case because of the Atari age form, they culminated with, the, I think, the Atari 2600 version, which is a rather odd platform to pick for a game that started out as a text-based keyboard game. 
But he mentioned a couple of the uh, Cocoa ones because he goes through various ones on various machines, going back to the Path and the Apple and C64, VIC-20, Sinclair, ZX, Spectrum, ZX81, et cetera. Uh, basically, a good history of going through a whole bunch of different platforms, including some more modern ones. So I pointed out that there's two Cocoa appearances in here, too. Um, and there's a lot more Star Trek games than just these two. I mean, there's at least nine or ten that I know of off the top of my head. Not all licensed, of course. Back to most of them weren't. Um, so the first two of the two here was one done by Tom Mix. And unfortunately, the video here is a little bit crappy, but uh, it's basically like a low-res semi-graphics divided screen. Suggestions. Super Star Trek included several changes that would find their way into quite a few future versions of the game. For example, Leadham felt that the original's method of requiring players to memorize specific numbers for the commands was cumbersome, and so added in text shorthand for commands that were more intuitive. So he goes through the gameplay now, and that was one of the earlier ones, and a fairly decent one. It reminds me a bit of um, one called Space Trek, which was programmed by Jake Commander, which was actually a feature cover game for color computer magazine issue three or four i think it was which actually was one i played quite a bit as a youth because it actually did a bit more animations you even had the little flashing lights you know dividing your view screen from your your main text area and stuff too but my favorite star trek game other than maybe um space wreck by spectral which is a, a clone of the arcade star trek simulator which is kind of a 3d perspective one but out of these ones that are done, you know, the generalized map and, you know, you jump between sectors and stuff like that. My favorite, it was Star Trek 3.5, which was uh, by Adventure International. And uh, that was originally programmed by Lance Mickles for some other platforms. It is one of the very earliest Coco games that required 32K because it came out in late 1981. And 32K was just starting to come out and they came out bang with it. Now, it's got some of the text elements like you see on this one here, but it also has some actual P-Mode 1 color graphics. And they actually did a pretty good job because they do stuff like you, if you got an orbiter planet, it would draw the little Enterprise, you know, an orbit of a big planet. It would draw the circle part of the planet and then put the Enterprise on it. And some of the space battle scenes, firing your photons, firing your phasers, was all done with graphics as well. Even had a couple of machine language routines for doing a warp speed thing with some sound effects that are way beyond extended basic. And it was actually quite a well-done version. Unfortunately, the version I have here is hard-coded for cassette. So at some point, I have to go in there and actually patch it to run on disk systems. But uh, I think I have it at 1824. So let's fast forward. Just you guys can kind of see it. And it actually does show some of the graphics stuff in it too. So And Japanese PC-88. It's this commercial grouping that today's game, Stellar Track for the VCS, falls into. And here you can see one of the 3D perspectives of Brother Clean, and then actually show your phasers going off the distance to it. And is his first VCS game to be published. Of course, that's all he showed to that particular one, which kind of sucked because it's actually one of the better ones. But uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Like the start, the, in, the internals within a sector map is actually done in graphics. Um, firing phasers done in graphics. Warp drives done in graphics. Um, photon torpedoes is done in graphics. And, you know, some decent sound effects, et cetera. It's a really, really good version of it. So I wanted to thank Alan Huffman for pointing that one out because I would, I would have totally missed this video otherwise. And then lastly, and I'll let uh, Nick preamble this for a second to just kind of introduce it, then I'll play it. Then I think, Nick, did you want to talk over it or did you want to let the sound Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll just talk over it. So, yeah, I've, uh, this is the video for my next blog, but uh, I've got the video ready, but uh, the blog I won't get done until... <laughs> in a week's time 
but I thought I'll just put the video up today. So I think last chapter I was talking about having done robots, the lifts, uh, and the countdown timer, which you can see the countdown timer at the bottom of the screen's now counting down. Uh, some of the lifts uh, are operating, uh, and uh, you'll see the robots in some of the other screenshots. So this is just a mishmash of various things. The game still has a fair bit of work to go. Um, I mean, I'm probably only halfway through. So uh, slowly it's, I'm piecing together all the levels. A lot of the levels will be have in uh, are like mini in-games, or what do they call it, mini-games. Mini so they, they take a fair bit of time to do. This one's fairly basic. You're just jumping platforms to, uh, to trigger the, uh, the um, security switches on the sides there. You can see going from red to green. Um, this one is uh, going to be called the uh, the grinder. So you've got these grinders in the top spinning. And these elevators go only in one direction. So basically you've got to jump off them. Otherwise I'll push you into the grinder blades. Um, and again, all you do is jump around to uh, trigger the, uh, the switches. Are you like the coloring effects you did in your grinder blades where they change the shade of gray as the rotates? Yeah, so I've more tried 3D to give it a bit of a 3D type look there. And uh, it came out fairly well. Yeah. Oh, so you can hear the sound effects here if Nick shuts up long enough. To yeah, hear them. okay. I'll shut up for a bit and you can hear the, the, the engine noises uh, for the cogs in the background. Oh, and you can hear the lift. No. The, the doors when they slide open. So... As, as the video goes, just listen to the lift. I love the lift sound. Here are the robots. And at the moment, they're just patrolling left and right on the screen. Every now and then, they'll just turn around and when they realize that you're behind them rather than in front. Um, but at the moment, you can walk right through them. So there's nothing actually. They can't kill you. That's a special Stevie Stroh version of the game. Yeah, that's right. And did you hear the uh, fall? Crikey, you might want to rewind that a bit. <laughs> did you guys hear that? Yeah, so when he falls, I put the typical uh, crikey to give it that touch of Australian to it. Oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> When's this going to be ready? Oh, there's, there's still a way to go. There's a, there's an awful lot to do to get it all together. Are you targeting like some of the mini Christmas? Games. Sorry, Christmas? Uh, it depends. Uh, I'd like to, yeah. I'd like to, but it all depends. There's so many things going on at the moment. Mm. Do you hear the door? Got a, oh, and this one this one is uh, the hoist level. So you use the hoist to, uh, to, gather, oh, that's cool. to gather these boxes. And as you gather the boxes, that, that triggers the uh, switches that you're meant, you're meant to activate. If you miss any of the boxes and they fall, they fall into the fire pit and that currently it, it reverses the, uh, the switch position. So basically it starts taking you backwards uh, in completing the level then, then forwards. So you've got to sort of stop them from falling off the edge as well. Now I have updated this. The, uh, the, the, the platform does move faster now. 
yeah. When I did this video, it was a, a slower level. And that's it. So it's yep, coming so together. I would suggest that you keep it on the slower level, then maybe Stevie can get past level one. Well, it's not going to be a hard game. I'm purposely <laughs> making it not, not too hard because, you know, there, there's so many levels and there's a lot of in-game levels. It'd be annoying if people who, you know, end up buying the game can't get through the game. So I figured, oh, it's more fun if you can act. Did you hear the crikey again? <laughs> um, it's, um, it's more fun if you can actually get through the game. So, yeah, it's not going to be too hard a game. As long as as long as it's fun, yeah, and that's why I'm trying to shoot for my game too. Because I'm actually going to have it so that if once you earn a level, you can get a cheat code style thing, so you can skip that yeah. level if you want to explore the game rather than just try to get a high score. So this is definitely not really for people like um, Buck Owens. Buck Owens will get through this no problem, but for <laughs> the for the for the majority of uh, For the average non-robotic, yeah. you know, that's right. Sentinel I mean, like Buck. even me. I mean, my my reflexes are no good nowadays compared to when <laughs> I was young. So, I figure, well, crikey, um, I figured that uh, a, a lot of us might be in a similar boat. So, yeah. And you have one other the, speech sound effect you're going to be adding that isn't there is, in this demo yet. That's right. I do actually have the David Lad really, and uh, I've got a plan for that. So, <laughs> so you get your very own copy of David Ladd digitized in your cocoa. What more That's could right. a person really? want? That's right. You get the, a touch of Australian and a touch of David Ladd. How's that for uh, opposites? <laughs> <laughs> really? Anyway, it's, it's looking really good. It even sounds really good now, too, now that you've got some of the yeah, sounds. Yeah, and... as, as I go, I'm adding the sound effects uh, as I go as well, so... And any further questions from the panel or the chat before I go on to the regular news for Nick? Great job, Nick. Getting there. It's, it's going to take a while because of the amount of work involved. But yeah, plus you got all the mini games and stuff to do too. So It's the mini games. That's right. It's not like my past games where you basically, you know, the game overall is the same. It's just faster and maybe I change the graphics. This one, in a lot of the levels, there are mini games like the the one you saw just before with the uh, with the uh, hoist, um, but there's also other games. There's a, there's a casino later on. You actually play roulette, uh, not roulette, uh, slot machines. So, yeah, and that that takes up a lot of time and a lot a lot of extra because you, you you you're creating multiple games within the game. Yeah, and that's that's one yeah. thing you that's quite different for you because you've normally done as you just you said you have basically you have different levels which have different designs but they're basically using the same elements in the same gameplay. Yeah. Whereas some of your mini games have absolutely nothing to do with the regular gameplay. No, no, they don't. They're they're different, and and the levels are not going to be linear. You, you know, you don't go from level one, level two, level three. In the foyer screen that you saw before, with which has all the doors, um, uh, you're trying to find it. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Yeah, go to the yeah. From here, this is the first screen. You choose the door you want to go into. So you choose the level that you want to go into, and those levels will be randomized every time you start the game. So they won't always be the same screens. Um, and in any of the games, in any of the levels, you'll be able to enter and you can exit and go back into it again. So you can half complete a level 
come out, do another level, uh, and then come out and continue back where you were before. So I'm hoping to add some things in there where you've got to collect objects uh, in order to complete certain levels. So you might need to go into another room to get something and then come back with that item to complete a level. So a bit of an adventure element as well. So is what yeah. I'm hoping for. <laughs> no, that's pretty good because it's actually a bit of a break from your, your previous games where you're actually... Yeah, it's a bit of a change. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mashup of my old Donut Dilemma and my Rupert Rhythm. So I've taken the game ideas from those two games and I've basically tried to meld them together and add add to them. So yeah. a bit of old becoming a bit of new. And and David Ladd. I mean, what more? And David Ladd, that's right. That's going to be the selling point. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> okay, well, anyway. thank you, Nick. And, and thanks to Steve uh, Bamford and Glenn Hewlett for their updates on their games too. So, I mean, the, the active game development community um, is actually quite strong in the Cocoa right now. We've got multiple game projects going on, at least 10 that I know of, um, including my, you know, pretty worthless compared to all these other guys. But um, it, it's it's cool to see a lot of active development going on in the gaming community. With that, I will now switch over to sharing the regular news. You guys seeing that? Yep. Yep. Okay, so the first story here by, I hope I'm not butchering his name too badly here, Nick Brissavac. So he's posted some photos of his progress on his custom Cocoa One system, which includes upgrading extended basic, his custom tiny keypad that actually has the built-in joystick mod. So it actually will double the arrow keys and spacebar and stuff to duplicate a joystick, which you can actually use a joystick to play games for the keyboard. Now we kind of showed this last week, but it was kind of you know a bit rougher picture. These are much easier and cleaner to see what he's doing. So here, for example, is the uh, keyboard, and each of those are little switches you can press you know, with your finger. So it's a very micro-sized keyboard. Uh, but he also has it wired into the joystick port so that if you move left, it'll, you know, hold down the left arrow. If you move right on the joystick, it'll hold down the right arrow and et cetera, and the joystick buttons. So you can actually play, say, Phantom Slayer with the joystick if you wanted to, which actually opens up a lot of opportunity for trying games in a different way and kind of giving you a, a refreshed version of the game without having to actually do any recoding. Um, which is pretty interesting. I, 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 if you can make it out to the fest, or if somebody else has one of these and makes it out to the fest, I would love to try some of the keyboard-based games in the Cocoa and see how they play on joystick. And there he's got his extended basic. I think he custom burned an EEPROM for that. And there's his actual setup. And you can see the custom-made joystick we kind of showed last week, two or two weeks ago. Um, which is actually pretty cool because it's actually got like a, a knob so you can do like a, a paddle style game like you're doing Pong, that little knob on the bottom will work for that so it does the x-axis. Uh, the joystick, the red ball joystick will do actual joystick games and of course the fire button will work just like a regular joystick button and it's wired to the keyboard so you can you know, do the keyboard games too. So it's a pretty interesting setup he's got here, I have to say. And he's got a well-worn Cocoa One earlier D&E board case. He's got the, you know, the silver paint completely wore off to black exactly like mine was. So that's awesome. I notice he's painted everything silver. The joystick, the speakers are all silver. Yeah. <laughs> Matching. <laughs> but he didn't bother repainting the cocoa. That was no, uh, no, he's that's the one. And the later oh, cocoa cases were actually made of a white plastic. So if you rub the paint off of that, it actually went to a kind of an off-white type thing. So you can tell this is one of the earlier you know, DE board level 
ones. Maybe he I has definitely painted wore off it. that same area on mine. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Maybe he has painted it and he's worn it off already. <laughs> Somebody else is saying something too? Or? No. Okay. Okay, next up. Uh, Steve Batson posted his Retro Lab, which is kind of a work in progress. Um, so he's got cocos and stuff set up here. So I'll just zoom up these pictures here. But he does, this looks really nice. I mean, this is much cleaner than my area's ever been in its entire 40 years. Um, so he's got you know, like a nice mouse, you know, wall mounted flat screen TV that the Coco sucked up to. And he's got an actual poster of video games up in the upper right corner. There was some classics. And then um, he actually shows the actual computers he's got set up too. It's not just Coco. So he's got an MC10. Some more posters on the side there. Got a dragon over there in the right. Yeah. There it is. Yep. Dragon, Coco 3. And then he's got a little, I can't remember what that mini Commodore 64 is called. Mini Commodore 64. <laughs> what was that actually the name? 64 Mini or something like that. Yeah, yeah something like that. So that's a, that's a nice retro man cave right there, I have to say. I'm kind of jealous. One, it's clean. Two, it's actually got like posters and clean walls. And mine just like looked like a tornado went through it. So, and it always looks like <laughs> that. So, very impressed, very jealous, I guess is basically me summing it up. Actually, uh, Eric mentions in the chat, he said the deluxe joystick there is more than half the size of the MC-10, mm. which is true. <laughs> more than, well, there is something smaller. There's the uh, C64 Mini. Is that, is that, yeah, I guess it's, it's definitely shorter than the MC-10. It's about the same width. Yeah. It's like maybe a little bit wider. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Just a smidge. Next up, <clears throat> this is from uh, Mr. Dave six through nine. So he's done a, a couple of things over the last few weeks of working with Coco three hardware scrolling, which he's just discovered how to use. So he's been learning how to use it. <clears throat> so this first one is actually a basic demo where he just you know starts poking the gimme directly with a basic program, and uh, the next one will be an ML one that actually does bi-directional scrolling at different speeds. So he's actually doing IRQs at certain times on the screen to change a horizontal offset. So it's going in different directions depending on the side part of the screen you're on and different speeds. <clears throat> and I, I know that Sockmaster had done one in basic and I've actually posted the source code for it in our Discord if you want to try it out that does a bi-directional scrolling on, on basic two split screen. So I'll first I'll show the basic one here. Should move that because it sounds open important. And here he loads some background graphics. So he's doing some vertical scrolling. I think he has it under joystick control right now for the demo. And there's some horizontal scrolling. There's some glitches on this one he mentioned. Uh, he was loading the graphics. He never quite set, right? But this basically means you're loading in a picture that's maybe about you know two screens wide by two screens high. And then using the hardware scrolling vertical and horizontal. Um, and mapping into memory, you can actually scroll again. Even in basic, you can you know, do these scrolling graphics. Now, drawing it, it gets a bit more complicated because basic only knows about where the screen, the first part of the screen is. It doesn't know where the rest of it is. So you'd have to patch basic to be able to adjust for this. But this is the same technique. I mean, Nick's used in games and Sockmaster's using games and demos and Contras and Pac-Dude 3D Monster Maze and a whole bunch of other games. So it's one of the very nice features of the Coco 3 hardware. That, to be honest, I think it's been underutilized up until more recently. Probably because it took a fair bit of memory. To do a proper full 
you know, full smooth scrolling game, you'd be hard pressed to fit it in 128K. And I think that was part of the problem back in the early days of the Coco 3 in the late 80s. People were shooting for selling them for 120K. There was a lot more 120K machines than there was 512. And I think a lot of people just said, I don't want to cut the market down in size to do a full scrolling game, which is why most of the 3D or the hardware scrolling games in the first generation of Coco games didn't come out until like 91, 92, 93, like Contras and 3D Monster Maze, because more people had 512K by that time. Anyway, he's going to be integrating some stuff for that into his upcoming game project too, which is one of the other ones that's been mentioned. So I guess this is kind of a game project update too. And this is one he just sent me over, I think yesterday or today, which is showing the multi-scrolling, multi-plane scrolling different directions here on the uh, Coco 3. This is ML, I believe. But... You can see different parts are going in, in different directions and different speeds. So it's almost like parallax scrolling here. So anyway, I'm really looking forward to what his game is because he's been learning all these techniques. He's, he's, he's given us other posts and updates here over the last couple months. His game's still in progress, but he's so busy learning new ways of doing things and new things to do that he wasn't, you know, didn't realize the hardware had in it. So uh, he might be changing the spec of his game, or maybe he'll save some of these techniques for a later game. I'm not sure, but uh, definitely look forward to it. Next up, we have Sheldon McDonald, who was our guest last week. And uh, he was talking uh, last week about the fact that his uh, PSG game cartridge system is going to have some software for letting you select via joystick or mouse from a graphical menu uh, what games you want to play on the Flash ROM that are included on the PSG. So here's some concept art he's been doing, and this it won't look this cross at you here. This is just as the lines you can see where the pixels are, so you can do the pixel art. I think this is P mode one, I think he said, or something like that. And he's got the three different color sets. So this is like a green screen. You did a sample here for Androne. Um, so this would be something once once you click the game, you'd actually get this graphic on the screen that you would see, and then you can click to run the game itself. So you can you try to do a screenshot. In this case, he's doing like a kind of stylized cartridge in a disk system. So that's the uh, P mode one color set one or color set zero. Here it is in color set one. So alternative colors you can use and here it is in artifacting. So just some of the uh, concepts and ideas he's doing there, but it's going to be a pretty neat system where you can actually just, you know, use a joystick with a mouse cursor and or a mouse itself and actually select your games off the uh, flash ROM. And you can, you know, put whatever, because that particular card is actually writable like the SDC is where you could write from the Coco. You don't need to put it on SD card. You don't need to put it into a PC or a Mac to copy it over. You can actually, upload the things right off your regular discs and choose whatever games you want on there, as long as you can fit them all in 512K of Flash ROM and, or Flash RAM, and then just run them off this menu, which is pretty cool. And I know, Nick, you're kind of, you're, you're doing a, a text-based version, but you're kind of doing that for your uh, MP3 card thing that you're working with, Jim Brain, which yeah. unfortunately is kind of yeah. delayed from the chip shortage worldwide now at the moment, which I've heard from some people is actually getting worse, not better so far. I don't know, you guys that order hardware, you guys experience the same thing? Because I did have one person that sent me an order they just placed, I think, a week and a half ago, and they got notified back they're not going to get their chips until May of next year. Are you guys hitting that same type of delay? Pretty much. I'm buying from people that I never would have spoken to before just to get stuff. And I know video cards are, like, really bad, too. Yeah. So this, this is just going to be a 
a sucky year for hardware coming out. You can design it all you want, but if you can't get the chips to sell it, then that's not going to help much. Yep, right. and new cars too. Don't forget the cars. <laughs> if you want to yeah. sell, you want to make uh, some money, sell that used car and get uh, more than you paid for it. Yeah, that's just insane. Next up, now this was cool. I uh, Antonio Antonino Antonio. Yeah. Uh, posted that his dad had actually designed a compute table, as they called it. And it was just basically a set of furniture for computers, it had, like printer stands and printer stands and, uh, you know, computer stands for the computers and monitors and, and mice and keyboards, disk drives, etc. Now, this was designed back in the Coco days. So here's the ad copy, and that's in Spanish or Portuguese or whatever it is, I'm not sure. Uh, but the pictures here, he pointed out, is actually using Cocos. So you can kind of see like in the middle here, the, you can see the cartridge, you know, sticking out to the disk drive <laughs> cartridge there and the, you know, slightly different color for the brake key. And then he's got the disk drives, you know, the vertical types like the Coco had. And so the horizontals, et cetera, and the monitor, et cetera. And then, uh, you know, the chairs and everything else. And, you know, a liftable glass plate, you can see the printer underneath, but it helps nullify the noise somewhat. So that's pretty cool. I've, I haven't seen any, you know, third-party computer furniture ever use the Cocoa in advertising. Occasionally, Tandy would throw in an ad with a Cocoa on it for some desks they sold, but I hadn't seen anything for third-party. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, next up, Andrew Ayers has uh, put up a 3D space shuttle uh, program that actually draws, you can kind of see the wireframe here, um, based on an original GW Basic. GW Basic, of course, being the original IBM PC Basic, which was itself based on extended Basic on the Cocoa. Well, that was kind of like the dry run for it, and then they finished flushing it out for the PC. So it's a pretty impressive, nice-looking little graphic here. 3D wireframe, and I I noticed Simon Jonas had mentioned that if he can get the uh, the coordinate system that it's based on, he might actually try to make a 3D animation out of it, a wireframe 3D animation demo out of it, which would be kind of cool to watch that kind of rotate around, fly around space. Next up, uh, Guillaume did an update here. Now, we mentioned, I think, was it the last news segment or maybe the one before that, that he had got the Color Computer Archive to be able to auto-launch XROAR for quite a few of the titles. So you'll see a play now button when you're on the color computer archive for certain cassette images and sometimes some ROM pack images. And if you click that, it'll take you to a web browser based version of XROR and fire up the game automatically and away you go, you can play. You don't even need to install you know, the actual emulator itself. But it had a problem. It didn't work with Safari, which is the default browser on Macs. And he's actually fixed it now so that it will actually work properly in Macs now too. So you don't have to switch to a different browser like Chrome or Firefox or something. You just use the built-in one if you want and it'll play fine. So that was, that was nice because that's actually probably what I usually use too most of the time. Or maybe app, Apple people should maybe buy uh, Windows machines. Yeah, if they want to like stab their eyes with a fork, <laughs> that's fine. Um, now, isn't Safari the original WebKit browser? Yes. So it's kind of weird that that's the one that doesn't work. Well, the thing is Apple's added a ton of security stuff to it. So that it blocks a lot of stuff that would run on other browsers normally. And I don't know if that was maybe one of the checks that was missed or something that it was getting stuck on that. Uh, next one here, can a Canadian retro things? And I, I kind of mentioned it in the pre-show, and I might have mentioned it during uh, the Douglas Bell interview. Um, he's installed Nitrous 90 U for the first time. We showed the video he did on that, just on basically how we how to install it on VCC and how to install it in Real Cobro. So this one is where he's more exploring it, and he's kind of you know just fiddling things. He I did ask me a few questions, but basically he's been trying to read the documentation. Obviously, I've got some holes in the documentation because there's some stuff he 
I uh, probably could have done a little bit easier, but uh, he goes into the multitasking. He goes into some keyboard shortcuts in G shell. Um, he actually entered in the date and time, which I don't see most of you guys doing when you're running Nitro Nine. So I was impressed by that. <laughs> um, shows you the key that you can hotkey a shell into G shell itself if you want to run it there too. Um, and then uh, like the ship, this is one that most people don't know, but if you're on a screen that has in G shell that has more than one page of icons, you can move the mouse cursor down to the arrows and click the up and down arrow, but you can also hit shift up and shift down arrow and actually just page here without going near the mouse at all. And if you're running a keyboard mouse, maybe that gets a bit complicated because the arrow keys kind of get stolen for the mouse. But uh, if you, if you have your mouse in a position, you want to keep it somewhere because you're waiting for a file that you know is going to show up in a certain spot rather than have to drag it all the way over, click the down arrow a couple of times, click it all the way back and then select the file. You can actually just hit the shift down arrow a couple of times and then just go bang into it faster. So it's a nice shortcut. And there's a bunch of little shortcuts like that. And I mentioned some of them in the, in the docs, he found some of those. Um, so there's a lot of things I, I mentioned on his uh, video comments there on YouTube that there's a bunch of shortcuts you can do on, on the text shell, like you're looking at right here too, or on, you know, full screen shells, et cetera. So I'm sure he'll cover some of that in the future as well. And then he, you know, played a few things. He actually found the CPM emulator, emulator in the emulators directory. And actually he's a huge fan of Infocom text games. So he's quite happy to find Zork 1, 2, and 3 uh, actually playable on the on the emulator. It runs a bit slow because it's emulating a, a, a Z80, Z80 CPU and CPM at the same time and then running it on the Coco. But it actually does play okay. So he's impressed by that. And then he you know, played a few other games like Tetris and Dexter. He actually went into multitasking too because this is another thing I know Boat didn't really understand is that when you launch games from G-Shell, everything else is still running. So if you didn't quit a game, you just clear it over to G-Shell and launch another one. That's another new game. And uh, I remember because Boat contacted me, he said, your Nitrous 9, I gave it to him for testing back uh, around version four or something. He said, it's broken here because now it's giving me out of memory errors. And I'm going, well, I shouldn't be doing that. How much memory you got? And he goes, 512K. Well, definitely shouldn't be happening with 512K. So I said, well, did you close the other apps that you're running off? And he goes, what do you mean? So I told him to hit clear a few times. And then every game he'd been trying to run, which was like a Sierra game and Thexter and Shanghai, were all still running at the same time. And he had no idea that actually was happening. So uh, Ken kind of discovered the same thing here. So he, you know, shows that you can play Tetris and then switch over to Thexter at the same time and just switch between them and you go and then cloud to close apps, et cetera, and some of the built-in apps. I did find one thing funny here. Um, on G Shell itself, there's this menu, drop-down menu here. Now, this is the Tandy menu. This is what it's called, the multi-view manual. And that shape is the Tandy menu that they used to do as splash screens on tier city model one, two, threes, et cetera. If you remember, it's the big, you know, kind of hourglass shape thing. And it's a T on the top and C on the bottom. Right. He didn't know what that was. So he's calling it the X menu because he thinks it's a deformed X letter. Um, so I had to point out that that actually is a Tandy menu. So I thought that was kind of fun. Anyway, it's a really good video. If you're a beginner and you're just trying to get into Nitrous 9 ease of use, which is also meant for beginners, but you want something that you know kind of lays out how to get it set up and running and some of the tips and tricks, uh, this is probably a lot easier to understand as a video than even you know my attempt at doing beginner's documentation. So it looks like he's going to be doing a series of videos on Nitrous 9 ease of use as it goes. So if you're brand new to it, his first video shows you how to install it. The second video shows you some shortcuts and multitasking and some other things too. So I might start permanently linking his entire series of these if he makes a playlist right off the Nitrous 90 UU page, because I think for beginners, this is a, a really good resource to have. And he was particularly impressed by the trash can, right? <laughs> uh, no, 
<laughs> he didn't mention it all this time. I think he might have mentioned the first one, but not on the on the second he one. He needs a video devoted just. He's, he's already waiting game. for the next trash can version <laughs> two. So. <laughs> next up, we have from Richard Kelly, who's been doing his retro Rick's amazing maze making algorithm. So we've shown this a few times before. So this is now version four, which has a couple of improvements. It, it generates mazes faster. Um, it has faster key repeat speeds, and so you can hold down the arrow keys to move around the maze. Um, P mode three screens, he's now changed the palette colors as to what foreground, background, and your tracing lines are. So it's much easier to see than it was. And he also made a P mode two version of the screen now. So this will actually run on a 16K Cocoa, whereas before it required a 32K. So this is the uh, P mode three uh, with a better contrast. So the actual maze is in yellow on a blue background and your trace of where you've been is in green so that's a little bit easier to see and now i don't know why his emulator is stretching out the he must be using an older version of the emulator because i think that's been fixed for quite a while um, but this is a kind of a stretch version of the pmo2 one so they're on 16k where you don't have room to run the color modes here this is what it would look like uh, but it generates mazes, you know, pretty decently. If you want to make mazes for, like, if you want to make a dungeon or something for a and d game or something, this might be a, a quick and dirty way to do it. Anyway, free download on Facebook on the Coco Group. This next one's kind of a, a twofer from two different people. So Pedro found out about this RGB to HDMI board and firmware from Andrew Newcomb, who is actually or sorry, Aaron Newcomb, who is our guest uh, speaker on, what, about a month and a half ago, I guess. We've been experimenting with this. So Pedro's been working with a guy that actually programmed the firmware here because he noticed, and we showed this two weeks ago, that the colors on some of the Cocoa colors is a bit off, uh, both in Pimo 3 and Artifacting. So he's been working with them, and this is version 37. So they've been going back and forth 37 times trying to get these colors more correct. Now, I will say his RF output here is absolutely horrible. It's got noise like crazy. Um, I'm not sure because of the angle of the screens here are accurate, the colors you've been showing, because he seems to think they exactly match, and there's a few that looks a fair bit different, but that might just be the angle. Um, but I'll just uh, let it play here a little so bit. So I've been providing RGB colors, trying to match the colors uh, for Ian. <clears throat> and this is his latest release, Beta 37. I'm going to be testing out now. Uh, you see the green looks good. That always looks good. Okay. Uh, the oranges uh, look good. They match the palette is very close i'd say it's i mean i don't know if you can get any better i really like the match now it's really really good okay okay all right let's play donut or let's start donut dilemma i had to do this because next year <laughs> it reminds me i've got to send him the money <laughs> Okay, color computer one and two, standard cocoa palette. I'd say that's a pretty close match. Yep. Yep. It looks a little different here, but I think that's the angle of the screen. So now what's the device he's playing that's it on? Yes. Angry Angelo has uh, it's called the what is it called? The HDMI RGB to HDMI adapter or something? He's in the chat, I think, right now. Okay, here's some baseball. Correct me. Oh, so that's that's Coco three output, yeah. Okay. 
Like here, the red looks a fair bit different, but I I know on my TV, the two different TVs I had, it it did the red quite differently between the two TVs too, because it depends on much bleed it has compared to the background color. Here's Megabug. Oh. And here you can see that it's actually interpreting the phasing differently than the Coco, because of course it has no idea what the Coco got for its phase there. But as a switch on it, you can just switch between the modes that she shows just a little bit later here. So here it's doing the matching one. But pretty darn close. It's a, it's a lot closer than when we showed it, I mean, like a month ago. I have to say, for Megabug there in particular, that one artifact color looks more greenish than I typically yeah, had yeah. my TV set to. I usually had the tint more set to a blue. But that's, again, that was something that was adjustable. So depending on what your TV was set to, you might be used to the green. Anyway, by coincidence, at the same time, Tim Linder sent me a post saying that uh, Aaron, of course, who kind of got this whole thing started here that uh, Fedra found out about, has actually got a bunch of the boards in and is selling them now. And here's the actual official name for it. Now, Tim did mention that the Coco 3 in particular requires a bit of a mod to the board. Yeah, an additional chip needs to be soldered on the analog board to use on a Coco 3. But he sells it as a couple different options here. You can just get the board, you can get cable bundles, you can get it with a case, et cetera. So the price varies from $10 to $45, depending on what you want to do. But I mean, the results are definitely getting better and better. And then basically, I think once they've got the colors kind of firmly fixed, you know, that you don't have to worry about reflashing all the time type thing, then that uh, might make a good commercial product. And he's got 15 of these in stock as of this morning. Uh, and they can be back ordered. So if, you, if he sells out, he will order more. And this is not just for the cocoa. This works on other things as well. And uh, Pedro himself in the chat is mentioning that that uh, TV that uh, looked like you know, all the garbage on the screen and stuff there. He said, this is a trash fine TV in the rain. So that's six <laughs> pictures. Not that weird. So yeah, Aaron, Aaron was on the show talking about that. And um, this might even be something he mentioned during Septandi coming up, you know, not too long from now, but just over a month, uh, along with his Dungeons of Daggerath playthrough where he swears he's going to win the game. Now, this is kind of cool here, too. So um, Brendan, of course, makes or designed the uh, Coco VGA, which is that upgrade graphics board for the Coco 1 and 2 in particular. And it works in the Dragon as well. And they have known for a while it, it kind of works in the MC-10. The thing is, it would do the VGA output in the MC-10, but the MC-10 doesn't have VSync linked to anything that you can normally read. Um, so the extra modes, which are dependent on VSync catching a frame at a certain time, reading the data that's in the video frame, and then that changes palettes it's done by commands basically you send a certain byte sequence it's kind of like programming a smartwatch you program a sequence to do a palette change and the mode change in the 16 color mode and all these other things you know change it to 64 by 32 text instead of 32 by 16 and they've always had trouble like how can we do this on the on the mc10 because it does have a vdd chip it does not have a sam and it does not have a video sync signal that you can find anywhere so we finally got it working, and it's actually using a technique that I think John Linville had used on Christmas Rush for the MC-10, which is basically 
the, the MZ10, the 6803 does have a programmable interrupt timer chip that can time exactly to the same speed that VSync would be. So what you do is you get the user to sit there and tap keys until it figures out where the VSync is, because you basically draw, in this case, he does a, I'll zoom it up a bit so you can see it. He basically has this little orange box where he's changing the display mode between the two color sets. And by adjusting it so that you slide that box just off the bottom of the screen, it now knows where the VSync would be and it programs the programmable interrupt timer on the 6803 to do that. And then all of a sudden now it knows how to properly sync with the Coco VJ. Now you can enable all those modes. So now we've got 64 by 32 text. We've got you know higher res graphics like the 16 color graphics mode 128 by 96 that I know Ron's in a lot of pictures of that he's shown on his page. So they actually have it working now. Now they're still doing it. Now, one thing you'll notice on the bottom here, the Coco VGA doesn't fit inside the MC10 case. So he's got these little spacers here and it's kind of jury-rigged up a little bit. So I don't know what the solution to that is. Maybe that's venting for cooling or something. Or maybe they design a new case, either the new bottom or the new top that you can replace so that it actually spaces out long enough that it actually looks like a clean fit. It'll just make it taller. So this was a pretty interesting project that they finally got working. And then he just released a video kind of demonstrating it too, which I will play here in its entirety because I think it's of interest to MC10 users. Everybody, I have here a modified, slightly modified MC10 um, where I've basically inserted some standoffs and some longer screws so I had enough room to install um, a Coco VGA and, uh, and close it. Um, I'll somewhat close it back up. Turn it up. Um, it's actually so, maxed out already. Uh, oh, is it? What I've done here is um, um, I have a demonstration um, that uh, attempts to get some of the features, uh, some of the enhanced features of uh, Coco VGA available to us in the MC10. So uh, here I'm booting up with uh, um, the MCX128. Um, so I'm just using this to take advantage of um, the MC server that's running on my PC. So I'm loading over the serial cable. So um, basically this is a machine language program, uh, assembly language program that um, synchronizes the uh, 6803 processor in the MC10 with uh, VSync. And so we'll see here in a second how it does that. So when it comes up, it says, hey, I want you to hide the, uh, the orange section, the, the CSS selected region off the screen, because if it's an off the screen, then we have an idea uh, as to where the blanking region is. So requiring user interaction here. So you can see it says we'll use W and Z up and down arrow uh, keys and press enter when done. So let's get that orange stuff off the screen here. And hit enter and there we go the uh, mm. synchronization allows us to um, send the uh, special combo lock uh, over to coco vga and tell it that the next video frame it's going to read our register settings and uh, now we can start using some of the enhanced modes uh, of the uh, of coco vga on an mc10 now notice here that uh, on an mc10 the uh, the memory map is such that, uh, and there's no SAM, so the memory map is such that the um, the interrupt vectors uh, on a stock MC10 anyway are in the middle of video uh, video memory. So what I've done here is I basically disabled all interrupts. 
I've written over the top of the interrupt service routine uh, vector table the, uh, and, and basically used it for graphics. So that's an unfortunate side effect of this. Now, I think that the uh, MCXs uh, from Darren Atkinson can help us uh, get around that, but uh, I haven't explored that aspect of it yet. So this is a, a 2K byte video screen, the 64 column, 64 columns by 32 uh, rows of text, for example, with, uh, with lowercase. Um, so uh, anyway, and uh, you know this, all of this stuff sort of builds on top of some of the methodologies that uh, that uh, Darren Atkinson uh, in uh, his port of Lee Patterson's bouncy ball to the MC10 and John Linville in Xmas Rush have have pioneered, um, and uh, you know with some help from uh, Simon Jonason and some some guidance, um, I, I was able to get this working. So. Just wanted to show it off, and uh, I guess that's about it. Thanks for watching. Tony, how are you, Curtis? Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, were I forgot to mute you here. sleeping? No, I had the thing muted. <laughs> it's such, it was such a quiet video. I was hoping that maybe if I muted my mic, it wouldn't bring in the room noise from here and maybe be a bit clearer to hear. Um, I don't know if that works or not, but... But yeah, this is a pretty ingenious technique to get around a, a machine that doesn't actually have a V-Sync signal you can actually tap off of um, and does have a programmable interrupt timer so you can actually get around it. It's just it, the user has to select where V-Sync actually is, which is kind of weird, but uh, it works. So that, that opens an opportunity for some graphical games or other programs for that matter, the MC-10 that just wouldn't have been impossible and kind of brings the MC-10 more in line with some of the later Alice machines from France where, of course, they added a secondary... No, a new VDG or new video display generating chip that included the original uh, VDG sixty-eight forty-seven modes plus you know eighty columns or something like that. I mean, technically sixty-four by thirty-two actually gives you more text on this screen than even like the Alice ninety had. So there's some pretty cool stuff. Plus, you know, the expanded color palette. You can change the palette colors for all of these stuff you see on the screen here right now. Um, if you have the latest version of the uh, Coco VJ, I think it's thirty-two thousand seven sixty-eight colors you get to choose from. And uh, you can do palette animation, animation uh, sequences. You can do the 128 by 96 by 16 color high res mode. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities here for MC10s to uh, you know, take a quantum leap in, in graphics technology. So I'm glad you got that, that, that finally working. Next up, uh, Tony Vincent and the Dragon Group. So we're on the Dragon news a bit here. I posted about a prototype board for the dragon that he's working on and what he's thinking of using it for in the dragon Facebook group. And uh, this is talking about a bunch of stuff I don't really fully understand. So I thought I'd just show you what the board looks like. <laughs> you hardware guys can kind of review this and get back to me next week and kind of fully explain what's going on here. Um, so this is a AVR12DA48 Curiosity Nano Development Board with 120K of onboard flash, 16K of static RAM, and enough GPIO pins to connect nearly the entire Dragon cartridge port. Are any of you hardware guys familiar with this particular development board? No, Rick? No? Okay. Uh, nice breadboard, though. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it looks like he's got some pretty interesting things he can possibly do with this here. Um, you know, add the ability to reflash onboard ROMs from an attached SD card, for example. Um, 
getting it working as SRAM or ROM in the cartridge port, and then be able to activate it as RAM or ROM with a single poke. And maybe even hack Dragon DOS ROM to allow this to act as Dragon DOS plus drives with SD storage. So it can become like a one-stop, you know, SD card reader type thing. So anyway, I'm looking forward to see what he's, we can come up with that project. And uh, unfortunately, he's not one of the guys I think we were able to get on the Dragon Show, but maybe some of the other people there actually kind of understand the stuff better and can talk about it. Next Dragon. <clears throat> this is a rather interesting one. So this is, um, I don't know if this is a clone. Like I know AlphaSoft Technologies in the States sold a six-slot multi-pack. Frank Hogg sold one called The Solution, I think it was five slots. This is, I think some of these were out before the Tandy multi-pack even came out. Uh, as a way of you know, expanding to extra cards. And this is a six-slot device that was sold for the Dragon called AdBus. Now, Rick, uh, did you have the Alpha Soft expansion pack? They used to sell all those analog to digital boards and all kinds of different things to put in them. Not me. Okay. Because somebody had, did have this that we had on the show before, and I thought it was you for some reason. Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> it's it's sitting in a pile of stuff I need to fix. The okay, because basically this is a six-slot multi-pack uh, that they made a ton of different add-on cards, and this is the Dragon version. I don't know if this was made with AlphaSoft being the base of it, and this is just like a, a conversion of it for the Dragon market, or if this was done originally separately, independently of it. Um. It doesn't mention anything about Alpha in here that I see in their documentation. It doesn't mention it will work on the Coco or the Dragon. Yeah, go ahead, Rick, if you want to try to find. Oh, I got to go look. Yeah. So we'll see if he has the uh, the American version to see if this is the exact same design or not, or if this was an independently created, but basically the same type of thing. And they made tons of IO boards for this for all kinds of stuff. It was meant for doing more, you know, scientific instrumentation and that kind of thing. Uh, but there was like sound cards for it and sound digitizers for it, uh, higher res joysticks. I saw some stuff mentioning like 4,096 position mice would run on some of those boards and multi-IO boards and all kinds of stuff. Because these are uh, general purpose IO stuff, they could be used for controlling things as well, like uh, robotics or uh, doors, windows, gates. Yeah. yeah. And I know this was not just for the Coco. They made this particular product line of, of multi-slots for and some of these IO boards and stuff for multiple computers. Um, yeah, and this is actually yeah, a specific disk controller they made too, which actually was set up for Flex, believe it or not. Sorry, Rick, go ahead. I was going to say the one I have mentioned that the separate uh, connector, the, the pack that you plug in was the, the magic, so you could use different interfaces with different computers and use the same, which same was a cards. very, very... It might have been the first injection molded thing I ever saw. The case was incredibly thin. You could probably break it with dropping a pencil on it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it has amazing big honky power supply that burned up on mine. Sadly, it's not here. It's in a box somewhere. Okay. Well, sometime when you do one of your show and tell things, you find it before them you can take a look at it. It'd be pretty cool to see it. I remember they had full page ads in, in Rainbow advertising the, I think they called it a bus or something. Right. Right. I think the actual, you know, six slot thing. And then they had, you know, you know three dozen different hardware boards that it would work with. Was it their idea of an S 100 bus? Uh, maybe I, I never had one. And I didn't know anybody that actually did. I did see it at the fest. I think the first fest I went to, I think I saw it. 
Because the same company, AlphaSoft, also was Colorware. I had an A-Bus that I sold to Linville. Yeah, John oh, Linville okay. has a collection of A-Bus stuff. What, what do you remember about it, Ron? What did you use it for? I didn't use it at all because I had no idea hardware-wise how to you know, have software work with it. You probably had to write stuff for it. It had okay. Um, so did you did you buy it because you thought you could do stuff, or did you get it as no, part of I a got collection? A, I got part of a large collection. Oh, okay. I said, "What's this?" You know, it was in a box. <laughs> I opened it up. I hooked it up, but I couldn't do anything with it. And then when uh, I saw Linville online, I, I asked him if he'd be interested, and I sold it to him. Okay. Yeah, because I think he did cover it in one of the Coco Crew podcasts. I think he mentioned it. I can't remember if he did a tech segment on it or not, but it's not like a pretty interesting bit of hardware. I do know the solution from Frank Og, which is basically the same thing from Frank. And then the Colorware slash AlphaSoft one did come out before the multipack from Tandy, which I don't think came out till late 82 or early 83 or something. So it was kind of filling a void in the market. What's interesting about it is it's a... um, maybe a heavy gauge piece of L-shaped metal and the board is mounted to it and it has feet on it. And then you can plug it into your cocoa and, you know, it's the same level. Or no, it had a uh, ribbon that went to the um, cocoa. And uh, so it just sat there open. You know, it didn't really have a case or anything like uh, MPI is. Like, Like you see in the ad. Yeah, the Frank one, Frank one, if I remember, it did have a case and it kind of had a flip door to open the cards. It was pretty tall, I remember. I had to take a look at the old ads, but anyway, cool. Yeah, Rick, if you do find that eventually, bring it, bring it on for show and tell. I'd love to see what one of those actually looks like myself. Yeah, I will do. I some. got pictures of mine somewhere. Oh, cool. We can compare and see if they're actually the exact same model or if they did some changes over the years. Anyway, next up in Dragon News, uh, Matt Ricardo posted pictures. This is uh, not an actual Dragon 32. This is a 3D model he made, which you could actually, you know, theoretically design to print cases, replacement cases with 3D printers, et cetera, from. But I thought he did a really good job on it. And some people in the Dragon group have already been asking. He's even got textures and all kinds of stuff in there, too, for the ports, et cetera. But it's a pretty pretty decent model. So if you did, if you did get a 3D printer and, you know, cable handling something of this size... Right. You might be able to replace an entire dragon case. The labor group, pretty sure you have to get separately, but they sell those already from other people. So, and then the last that, news item. Oh, sorry, go ahead. That's almost better than photographs. Yeah, pretty much. You know, if you think of it. So next up, and I know Tom was in our chat room earlier here. I don't know if he is still. He can comment on it. I did invite him on the show, but he won't be able to make the the Big Dragon special, unfortunately. Maybe sometime in the future. But uh, he says, I'm on my summer place in Sweden where I also have some of my Dragon stuff. And those were what he thought was the first style of joysticks. So apparently Dragon Data changed the design of the joysticks multiple times over the first year, especially, and then kind of standardized the one that I think Stevie has. So these original ones look a little closer to, or this this actually turns out to be the second generation one. It looks a bit closer to an Atari S, uh, Atari VCS style joystick than the Final Dragon, which had the longer handle, uh, free floating joystick, with a much bigger stick here, for example. Now he thought that was the first generation one when he mentioned it. He also found a really cool black uh, drag, official Dragon uh, dust cover too. But he thought that was first generation. And one of the people in the, in the group actually corrected him and said, no, this is the very first generation one, which was only out for like a month or two. And I guess these things broke like crazy. <laughs> okay. 
Tom is in the chat. Oh, okay, cool, Tom. If you have any commentary you want to add here, uh, feel free. So, so he was asking Mike, "Is this even earlier?" And he said, "Yeah, these were the sticks available during the white box with red dragons period. They're so terrible that almost none have survived. I destroyed the pair I had when I got some Mark III ones. So, and then some other people had mentioned that uh, they they broke like you know easily, like they were pretty, and they had a really small stick in the middle, so they quite changed the design. They got a huge stick on the second gen ones." You know, they had the nice big round red buttons that are here. It's like smaller, very small stick and a little square button, you know, up. So it was a complete design change. So obviously, if you're having manufacturing problems and the fact that kids would bust them in like a day, then that would make sense. And then they ended up doing a third design later on. And, and that became part of the kind of standard version after that. Did I say all that right, Tom? You can you can mention if I got any of that right. You know, if you think of it, uh, the Black Beauty is really durable. I don't yeah, know how many I've, times I've, I've thrown them against mine. the wall and they've still yeah. survived. Sometimes the button pops off, but not recently when I was a young, you know, yeah. feisty with whippersnapper. Yeah. Tom says those sticks are very sturdy. I also have a set of the very first ones and they are terrible. So he's verifying it. Yeah. These, these the ones I'm picturing here right now suck. And these uh, second gen ones are actually quite good. I'm not quite sure if these ones actually look like they'd be durable. I'm not quite sure that why they switched this design to the one they finally ended up that we saw for the tunnel. I don't know, maybe these were too expensive to manufacture or something, because they actually look pretty decent. And uh, you know, fit the palm pretty good and nice big stick to hold on to and nice round, easy to hit button. I'm not sure why they changed that. Anyway, that's that's it for the news. That gets us caught up for two weeks. So I will mention once again, make sure you're here on the 14th of August, where we're gonna have over a dozen dragon guests for the Dragon Talk special. Uh, you guys will answer them questions. They'll be doing little presentations of stuff that they've worked on or, you know, their channels they stream from, et cetera. There are going to be a couple of special game on episodes that week and the following week that are based on dragon games, um, which we're going to kind of hold close to until then. A few people know it already because, of course, the discussion of the dragon group because they got to vote on them. Um, so uh, I'm looking forward to Nick talking about those games and also, uh, you know, talking about how they... Uh, how they play on the Coco, et cetera, because there's Coco ports of both of them. The other thing is uh, the Amigos will be coming on. I'm still not sure if it's live yet. I'm going to verify after the marathons over here, probably tomorrow, whether it's going to be a live uh, intro to it or if it's going to be a pre-record. But they're going to be going through the differences between designing games in Europe versus designing games in North America with a few examples that we've all seen, like Jet Set Willie and Manic Miner type thing. Um as a kind of a segue into, into uh, Nick's segment going into the specific game we've that, that was chosen by the dragon people themselves to be the first official dragon game on high score challenge. So thanks so to Nick. This is going to be like a, a this is going to be like a dragon July tober. <laughs> no, it, it's one big honking show. It's going to be over a dozen guests, not including the regular panelists uh, from various walks of dragon life, from game streamers to Hardware dragon designers fist. to people that worked at Dragon when they formed the company to game developers to you know, like a, just a cross section of everybody. Was so, it dragon fist. It's August or pardon? It's August fourteenth. Yes. Okay. Same regular time, so it's still one p.m. Eastern, which I believe is six p.m. UK time, and expect it to be long. And then the following week will be the game on challenge of the following week will be another dragon game. And then Nick goes back to his regular schedule. We want to kind of, as a thank you to the dragon people, 
because when they were voting for games, they had one very clear winner, but it was a game that was cross-platform. It wasn't just a Dragon game. Um, in fact, the Dragon was a port of another one, but it's one of the better ports out of all the ports that were done. And uh, the second one is a uniquely Dragon game that was designed for the Dragon, period. You know the AGD or AGP or whatever they are, games that were taken from the... Yeah, Parasaurats. Uh, yeah, do, do any of those uh, transfer over to um, Dragons? Yeah, they were done on the Dragon first, I think, actually. Oh. Um, the only real difference hardware-wise with the Dragon and the Coco is the keyboard mapping for the most part. I mean, aside from having a built-in serial port and parallel port, depending which Dragon. And the ROMs. Yeah, and the ROMs. And the ROMs. Yeah. So some of the ROM routines, the uh, the indirect calls at the beginning, I think, are the same. So if you use those to read a keyboard, read a joystick, it works perfectly fine on both. You don't have to change anything. If you directly call a ROM routine... Well, yeah, that's that's bad news even on the Coco because a Color Basic 1.0 changing to Color Basic 1.3 could bust stuff if you did that. And we did have that problem back in the day. I remember every time new ROMs came up, people had to patch Telewriter and they had to patch this and they had to patch that. So it just it wasn't. If you're going to do that, you might as well just talk to the hardware. But yeah, a couple of Dragon special things: the big Dragon special itself, August 14th, and a special Dragon uh, Game On Challenge on the 21st. So thanks, Nick, for helping arrange all that. And for uh, being Thanks, the host Nick. of it, it was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Not that useless, Nick. We're talking about the wow. uh, dreamy Nick here. Wow. Sorry, I didn't hey, say you're, it was wel- nothing. you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> so, what do we want to do? Any projects and acquisitions, or shall we run the outro? Does anybody have any project updates or acquisitions they would like to talk about? Nick kind of covered his update on his, on the game on segment, but uh, anybody Brian's else? Brian here. <laughs> no, I don't see Brian. Rick, nope. any updates from you? You usually have something in the burner. Well, I thought I had dug out all of my old Connect stuff, but I hadn't. I found the System Five, which is a sixty-eight hundred twenty. Can you can you spotlight it, Rick so people can see that? Because that's a pretty rare machine, actually. It's uh. There you go. Oh, wow, there I am. In an unassuming so, yeah. PC case. I found this. Well, yeah, this is the way it came, complete with the genuine Delmar sticker sticker on it. And Does it power up? Just, it powers up. It boots to direct to the GUI. Um, the mouse jumps all over the screen, so I can't actually do anything because I can't get to any windows. And uh, I don't know about OSK enough to find the console, but I do have a... Is it- is a mouse a proprietary mouse, or what's the story? No, it's a PS2 mouse and a PS2 keyboard, oh. and Ta-da. Oh, ah, IBM, rock and roll. Model M, yeah. So. Yeah, this this was one of the machines that was kind of labeled to be a Coco 4 in the early 90s, along with the MM1 and the, T- the Tomcat, the TC70, except this was actually based on standard PC cards. So you could take ISA cards, like a video VGA card or you know, various cards. Now you had to write drivers, so it wasn't like just plug and play or anything, but it was designed to actually take bulk produced PC hardware. And in a very similar to a Coco, you have an OS9 boot disk <laughs> in floppy. Now, you said this was, was a System 4 to System 5, because I know Ed made two versions for Delmar. System 5, so it's the later one. So that's uh, a 68020-based version? Yeah, 68020. It should be a lot of fun if I can figure out what's wrong with the mouse. How did you wind up with it? This was a donation back in the before the crash of... 98. Um, I thought I'd lost it. And then I found it mixed in with a bunch of 
PC stuff because it's in a PC case. And so I trundled it downstairs and yeah, it boots and everything. So now I've just got, and the only copy of OSK I have is on its hard drive. So I've got to figure out how to back up a hard drive right away. <laughs> Was it using SCSI stuff. hard drives or standard PC ID? I, I, geez, I didn't even look close enough to see. It's it's a very strange system because it's just a backplane, and then the CPU card is a card, and the hard drive card is a card, and yeah, it's some PCs were like that. I think Weiss uh, had a three eighty six that was like that. It was a backplane with the the CPU card was a card in the slot. If I remember too, it even had the option to put an eighty eighty eight as a card, didn't it? So you could actually run some of the MS DOS stuff. Could do all kinds of stuff with these. I've I seem to recall Ed demoing like playing King's Quest One or something like that on the PC card under OSK, controlled by uh, it might have been the the four version, not the five version. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I remember him demoing. I was pretty impressed. He got that. He even had the sound card working and the enhanced graphics and everything else too. So, oh yeah, it's a good looking system on the screen. So I hope I get it. I can get around this mouse problem because, like I say, it's it's kind of hard to do anything when the mouse is. Yeah. <laughs> is, is it running? Is it running K Windows like Kevin Darling's, or is it running G Windows, or which which GUI is it running? I, I like. Does it look like a Cocoa style screen, or is it totally different? Yeah, it's a very Cocoa style screen. It Probably K Windows. I wonder if you. I wonder if they put the keyboard mouse in there like we did on the TC9 then. Which would get, let you get around the, the most problem. I'm going to have to try that. I tried all the normal Coco stuff, you know. Let's try the clear key. No, that doesn't <laughs> work. <laughs> so, so I haven't been able to get out of the GUI. But uh, I didn't want to run it too long because, like I say, the only copy of the software I've got is on the hard drive. And I don't want to, you know, spin it to death trying to figure out how to get the dang mouse working. But Well, so if, Kevin, if Kevin based it, I wish Alan Huffman or somebody here who actually had an M1 and uh, and regularly used it, might have known these shortcuts, but I know in G Shell, Kent Myers and Kevin put in stuff like if you hit the S key, it'll pop up an overlay shell that you can actually just start typing in. Mm. So maybe try something like that, or the dollar sign was another one uh, that possibly did that too. So you might be able to at least get in a shell, see what's on the hard drive, and maybe start adjusting. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for just sort of a gen. Well, I haven't even figured out what kind of hard drive I've got, but I'm hoping for some sort of generic duplicator where I can just get a copy oh, off of it. And then I can play with it all I want. Yeah. Yeah, if you get that working, I would definitely like to see it running here because I, I faintly remember the five. The four was out for a couple of years and the five came a bit later. And I didn't see too much of the five. I like I did see it at the fest, but I didn't, you know, study it too closely and it wasn't out too long. And unfortunately the yeah. person that created it, uh, Ed Gressick, has passed away quite a few years ago. So <laughs> clean the oh. mouse ball. <laughs> what what year is this basically? Uh, the system four came out like the TC 70 TC nine from Frank hog, the MM one from IMS Paul Ward and Ed Gressick and Delmar for the PT 68 K four and the K five all came out around the same time, which would have been around 91 to 93 ish. The system five would have been a little bit later. So maybe 93, 94, maybe I remember when it was announced. Yeah, definitely before 95, because I believe that's when I got this one. Um, but like I say, I thought it was lost. It used to work, and 
I just I was so busy with other with Coco stuff and blah blah, you know, that I never got to use it. And now, thirty years later, hey, the mouse has gone wonky. I, I will mention that Rainbow had cover features on the TC9 and the MM1 and the System Four, which is the predecessor of this one, the six eight thousand based system. Uh, in was it ninety two, early ninety two Rainbows? If you check it, so it's the cover feature one on each of three months, and they weren't consecutive months. I think it, they skipped one. So over a four or five month span, they actually reviewed all three of these with photos of machines, photos of what the GUIs look like, etc. And some details of the machines too. So if you are interested in, in a bit of the history of that, I, they were advertising in Rainbow. IMS was advertising, I think, a year or two before it actually came out for the M1. Um, but the reviews were, I think, in 92. First half of 92, if I remember. Of Rainbow Magazine, which is online in the archive if you guys want to check it out. Anybody else have any uh, project updates or acquisitions? I just got a couple things here that I got. I don't okay. know if you guys remember the... Uh... Coco Mac has a uh, high res uh, input, input module. Got one of those. And then I've been looking for one of these in a long time. TRS-80 touchpad, new in a box with the stylus. Oh, wow. That's the koala yeah. pad, right? Koala pad. Yep. So uh, I was very happy to get this. So looks like the box is even in good shape. Yeah. That box is in excellent shape. Sorry, anything wrong with it at all. So. <laughs> So that's what I got here so far this week. I got more stuff I'll be sharing here next week, probably. You'll be competing with Brian Weasler, maybe. Nah, I don't think I'll get that crazy. <laughs> Plus, I don't have the space for that. <laughs> oh, Dave Phillipson mentioning about the Delmar System 4 and 5. He says, I think Fred Brown actually designed the motherboards for Delmar System 4 and 5. Actually, now that he mentioned that, I think that's right. Ed was more the reseller. Kind of like Frank Hogg. Uh, the TC70 was designed by, uh, what was the name of the company? Hazelwood? I think did the design for him. Sounds familiar. And I know the QT68K and stuff that Frank said was also designed by Hazelwood. So yeah, it was designed by or built by or whatever by companies that they didn't kind of like license it from. But I got Anybody something else? to oh, just talk about real quick. Um, the, the Coco behind me has a monitor that's it's a Vizio or Vizio or however you say it. <clears throat> it's a Vizio. 20. 24 inch it has um smart um smart thing on it where um you can cast to it um chromecast i think is what it uses but what's neat about it is finally i've got a, a monitor that i can adjust the size of the um video because the um the thing that i got from uh well, what's his name uh, uh, what is this thing? The, it's like the switcheroo cable? Switcheroo, yeah. The switcheroo um, gives you a signal that's tall. And some monitors, you can't adjust the height of anything. And all you got is um, what you get. You know, I got this zoomed, so it looks terrible. But basically, I was able to make the screen nice and big and fit the um, uh, ratio, you know, so it looks good when you put something up anyway uh, let me see there see nice and big cool and it's all you know nothing stretched you can adjust where it goes on the screen and how big or tall or wide which is great that's it 
Okay. Anyone else? In that case, I think, Mark, it's okay to do the outro. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weasler, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, Grant Leedy, James Diffendaffer, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave 6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Eulin, Rob Inman, Rondell Vaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever, people! That's enough of that. <laughs> really? Are we still live? Or? Yeah, we're, we're still live. Uh, the Caboose scene. Uh, any last thoughts? Well, I'm just going to do a plug for the Amigos for their uh, fundraiser for the Children's Miracle Network. Uh, again, because uh, it's a 24-hour marathon raising funds. I haven't checked to see what they've gotten up to now. Uh, but we do have a bit of cocoa content in that. Stevie and I will be on tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern to demonstrate some of the newer Coco games that have come out recently and maybe a few old classics there in the, within an hour. You said 10 p.m. Eastern? Yeah, that's when our segment goes on. So I think Flack, uh, Rob O'Hare is on before us and he does C64 stuff. So some of you people that are cross-platform, uh, there's some C64 stuff right before us. And I can't remember what Mr. Cole was doing afterwards, but yeah, they've had a pretty wide variety. of Is that on YouTube? Uh, on Twitch, Twitch, on the Amigos channel on Twitch. Your channel on Twitch. If you got the uh, address handy there, you can probably post it in the chat so people can see it there. I'm pulling it up right now. Another place to sign up to. I think you can watch without signing up, can't you?
I think I don't think you can participate in the chat, but I mean, we, we broadcast on there too. Yeah, Twitch but, is so. Twitch is a pretty big uh, network, and it doesn't okay. have a lot of the stupid restrictions that YouTube does. Exactly, and yes, Erico, that is today. Yeah, it's the cocoa portion should be starting in what would that be about five hours? So it's five, it's five o'clock Eastern right now. Yeah, so yeah. roughly about five hours. Yeah, five hours. Nine o'clock central. But feel free to watch the stuff before that. They've got a lot of cool gameplay stuff going on there if you're into retro gaming of any way, shape, or form. Okay. Well, say goodbye, everybody. And thanks, Mark, for posting the links for those that are interested in the chat there. They can check it out. No problem. Thanks for being on, Mr. Bell. You bet. See some of you tonight, and we'll see you all next week. And don't forget, mark your calendars. Make the day, sure you have the day off for the August 14th Dragon Talk special. It's going to be great. <laughs> And long. It's going to be a long one. (laughs) Yep. Pack a lunch and buy a diapers. Yeah. There you go.